condition we are in, in the state of ignorance we are in, in the state of war, in the state of economic depression, in the state of depletion of the resources of our planet because of the greed of psychopaths who thought they could create their own reality. Well, look at the reality they created. You're listening to Behind the Headlines on the SOT Radio Network, the world for people who think... Hi and welcome to Behind the Headlines. I'm Neil Bradley, my co-host in the studio, Joe Quinn. Hi there. Joining us, Alan Martin and Harrison Keeley. Hi everyone. Hello. Today is Sunday, October 8th, and this week's topic is last week's news, unfortunately, but it's been going all week, the shooting in Las Vegas. We're going to be looking at that, probably because it's the only thing we've been looking at all week, um, at least for a few of us. It's uh, what a horrific event in Vegas. It must have happened just a few hours after our show early last week, last Sunday, October 1st. Deadliest mass shooting ever. What, what struck me was that I'd not, it hadn't been long since I'd seen an article that had noted how long it had been since a really big mass shooting in the US. I think really it's Orlando before that. The shooting in a nightclub in Orlando, that was June 2016, or was it even? Yes, 2016. Of course, the U.S., I mean, there are multiple homicides every day in some cities, but um, even for the U.S., what happened in Vegas last week was big. Um, obviously, the first thing that strikes, I mean, the videos that come out, the the people who were there, even the cops who are either on scene when it began or short, arrived shortly after the shooting began, everyone and his dog was commenting on the, the, the sound of gunfire coming from everywhere. Uh, and from there, now it got quick, quickly whittled down to one shooter, Stephen Paddock, um, and there's been a lot of, a lot of, a lot, a lot, a lot of chatter about how that just cannot be right. And certainly, it just, it just struck us as well as being completely implausible that all of that, the sound of footage we hear of those those bullets raining down are coming from one gun. But in the absence of uh, six days later, seven days later of any any real evidence of another shooter. And another gun being caught on camera. I mean, no guns were caught on camera. Um, and the the official line, the police investigation, the FBI investigation, I think it's all rolled into one investigation. They're they're sticking with it's just Stephen Paddock. There's no other persons of interest. Which alone, it's it's um, it's an incredible fact in itself, and we'll get into that in a minute because. Even the chief of police for Las Vegas finds it incredible that the guy he himself, uh, Joseph Lombardo, accepts is the, the lone gunman. The chief of police doesn't find it credible that he did all this alone in the sense of planning it, purchasing weapons. He can't believe there's just complete silence about how Stephen Paddock set this all up. So um, for this show, you're going to want to have, ideally, you would have... Um, 
Google Maps open of this um, concert venue in, in the center of Las Vegas on the south of the, the Strip. Uh, have it open because we'll, we'll make reference to obviously the Mandalay Hotel, um, the airport, right next to the venue. That's really curious. Um, and some of the street names as well and the names of other casinos. So go, go to Google Maps, find it. And then if you can, switch into Google Earth mode because uh, if you see it in 3D, it's, it's, a, it's even more easy to navigate your way around. Yeah. So what's top of the list? Well, top of the list is one one person, Lone, lone Gunman, Lone Wolf. Um, that's that's clear immediately to police on the scene. And that's what the, you know, within a space of a few hours, that's been the official story ever since. Um, the second person of interest on the night quick, quickly uh, resolved not to have been present and probably not involved. This is the, the woman, Mary Lou Danley, whose relationship with Stephen Paddock is unclear. Um, is it confirmed that he had wired a hundred thousand dollars to her? The week yes, before? she apparently she apparently confirmed it. The first news was that he had wired a hundred thousand dollars to the Philippines, but they weren't sure who it went to. Um, just that it went to the Philippines. So you know they had no idea at first. Then when she got back to the states, um, you know, just a couple days or a few days after the shooting, um, she met with police and she released a statement. And one of the things she said was that um, she gave her account of events. She said that she had, first of all, she had no idea that he was going to do this. He hadn't given any indication. And that, um, you know, several days, um, well, earlier in September, he had given her uh, or just told her that he found a cheap flight for her to the Philippines um, and that she should go visit her family. So she went there. And when she got there, he wired her this huge, well, relatively large amount of money, $100,000, and told her to buy a house for her and her family. And so she says um, that she she had the impression that he was breaking up with her. And this was his way of kind of getting her out of his life. But, you know, in a in his way, his kind of kind way, I guess you could say, to, to be like basically buying her out and saying, okay, well, here, here's a bunch of money, buy, you know, buy a place for you and your family. And so she thought that, that he was basically breaking up with her. And it was only when, you know, when watching the news that she found out that uh, he was, um, you know, being, he was the suspect in this mass shooting. Let's, uh, let's do a bit more profiling of, of, of Paddock. Well, this is, sorry, I should just clarify it. This is the gaping hole so far, the lack of motive. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, um, Let's well, let's let's who, talk who let's talk a bit about about who he is, um, what his what his habits were. I mean, he seems to have been based on testimony of of quite a number of people that knew him, if only briefly, and also on his his career, uh, which was seems to have been at least in part a high stakes gambler, uh, and also some of the personality traits he seemed to have had, where he was quite. Um, volatile let's say a bit unstable um but he seems to have been as his brother said although his brother seems a bit unstable as well he was a very smart guy and that kind of fits with the uh, a kind of um high stakes gambler someone who kind of can 
figure out the odds in their head or in one way or another figure out the odds for gambling and actually make a lot of money from gambling or a decent amount of money from gambling. Um, so, but when I say intelligent or a smart guy, that obviously doesn't mean that, like I said, he's a stable guy. <laughs> he can be very intelligent. You can have um, highly intelligent people who are kind of emotionally a bit uh, volatile and, and um, vulnerable in a certain sense. Um, so that seems to be the type of, of, of personality or character. I mean, one person, I think, um, I think it was his brother actually said this, that his brother would, he, he would hook up with his brother at uh, at some casino sometime if he was flying into somewhere and his brother was, as he often did, uh, staying in one of the suites at a casino somewhere, a, a big casino. This is the brother who's been in the news. Right. And right. um, his name is Eric Paddock. Uh, he lives in Florida. He said that if he was flying into an area where Paddock, the shooter, was staying in a casino, high stakes casino, whatever, big casino, um, he would join him and he'd hook up and... Um, his brother and maybe his brother's wife, I suppose, would have access to all these kind of perks from the hotel, you know, very expensive meals and all sorts of other perks because of his brother, who was very well respected by these casinos because he spent a lot of money. Um, but he said that, so it would be, I think this was actually reported by, in, in a newspaper, not didn't come from his brother himself, but this was reported in the newspaper. Uh, one of these events where his brother and his wife are, um, uh, enjoying, you know, uh, I don't know if, if this exists, but he said like a, a, a sushi meal or something that would cost a thousand dollars, probably some rare tuna and all this mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Uh, really expensive sushi meal, and um, so he'd be treating him really well. And then he'd turn around to him and say, demand that he go get him a sandwich, you know, yeah. and, and, and a kind of like treating him like, you know, like a like an underling basically. So he was, he was erratic in that sense you know he wasn't um, you couldn't basically it's something you had to deal with if you wanted to hang out with Stephen Paddock the shooter uh, mm-hmm. um, and that was actually in that was in the the interview that they did with him I saw the video of that so there were uh, it was the second big interview he gave outside of his house where there right. were like probably 10, 10 newspapers and TV stations you know gathered around him while he's talking and so he told that story right. he also said that so he'd go out, um, you know, he'd go to one of these casinos with him, you know, for a weekend and they would get like just uh, meals comped for them for like thousands of dollars. He'd say we'd have like a $6,000 meal and that would be free and he'd just, and then Stephen would just pay the tip. And then, yeah, so he said, he also gave the example, this a specific example where he was out with him and they were just eating thousands of dollars of sushi. And I don't think that... Uh, when the sandwich story was like directly tied to that, he 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 told it kind of as like as like a second anecdote where he'd say, right. okay, well this is what this is what Stephen was like. You know, he'd he he for the people that for his real friends and his family, he'd treat them extremely well and you know get all kinds of stuff like for for them. But then you know at some point he'd be like, oh Eric, uh, go get me a sandwich. And so he said, and that was kind of the the deal of the relationship. Like Stephen would treat you real well, really well, but there were little things like that that you had to do for him. If he wanted a sandwich, then you would go and get him a sandwich, <laughs> right? Which isn't really treating you very well. So another thing I think um, he he mentioned about uh, what was it now? Um, well, you you, you um, Harrison, you follow up with that. What's in the news today about? Uh, about his, um, his, uh, right. So, um, so in the, I think it was first reported in the sun, the UK sun, and also then in the daily mail, um, apparently, um, Paddock was well known for hiring like, uh, escorts or prostitutes, like high class prostitutes in Las Vegas. 
And so one of them gave an interview to the son saying, um, just revealing some of the details about that. She said that he'd pay her like $6,000 for, a, you know, a liaison and that he would, um, that basically he had like dark fantasies um, and he would pay her to play them out, you know, role play them out with him. So like rape fantasies. So she said that she, he would like to um, like her to, I don't know if, if, if she, I can't remember if she said that he would, or that she would be tied down or, but just that she would, you know, he would want her to scream basically as if she was being raped and that while, um, you know, interacting with him, he's, she, she said that he was big into conspiracy theories that he would like always talk about nine 11 being an inside job and that, um, he would kind of brag about his father. Now we haven't talked about that yet, but, um, Stephen and Eric, and I think they have one or two other siblings, another brother, maybe a sister. Um, Bruce, they were, yeah, they were raised by their mother primarily because their father was like a kind of a professional criminal, um, arrested several times. He'd do bank robberies and um, um, was uh, like a con man. So he was arrested for playing, you know, doing confidence. Um, what do you call them? Confidence games, confidence tricks on people. Um, and he was actually on the FBI's most wanted for a time um, after an armed uh, robbery of a bank. He, um, you know, he got away. He was arrested. He was put in prison. He escaped from prison. Um, and then when the FBI almost found, almost caught him, he like ran over a, uh, an FBI agent or attempted to or something like that. So he was, you know, on the lam again. And, but each time he'd get arrested, he wouldn't spend very much time in prison. It was, it was almost as if he had some kind of protection, like he'd get off, um, relatively lightly. And I think he died in the, in the mid eighties or mid nineties. Um, but the, both or all the paddock kids say that they, you know, they never really knew him. They never spent much time with him. But this prostitute said that, um, Stephen would kind of brag about his, his father being a big kind of bad boy criminal and that, that it ran in the, uh, we didn't say it ran in the family, but words to that effect that he had that same bad blood in him or something like that, which makes sense with, um, you know, with what he would, you know, that he would say that, um, you know, along with the kind of um, rape fantasies that he would share with her. So um, just a few details of what he was kind of like in private. Well, and that's, that's interesting in and of itself, because one of the things about Stephen that even his brother Eric says is that he had very few friends. He was, he was a very private person. Mm. Um, this is something that neighbors say too, that, you know, that they would, uh, you know, wave to him and he would give no response. And maybe the third time that, they, that they'd wave at him, he would say hi but, um, you know, he spent a lot of time alone, The you know, the curtains closed in his house, didn't talk to very many people, didn't have very many friends. Um, so no one really knew a lot about him. And he, like he had, he had no social media profiles. He was very, you know, very kind of insular, kept to himself, didn't interact with a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's interesting to get, the, uh, you know, from the people that, that do know him and that aren't necessarily like close to him, like his girlfriend, Mary Lou Danley or his or his family, like to get some idea of what he was like with people, you know, with whom he interacted. Um, that's kind of, um, you know, if we can trust all these accounts, that's int- uh, interesting information to have because there isn't a lot of it. Well, right. there, there were some uh, earlier kind of um, uh, testified, well, kind of um, neighbors who had come out to say that everything that they did know of him 
suggested that that this type of behavior was completely bewildering. Mm-hmm. Um, they they knew him, I guess, long enough that they had experienced the side to him that would talk about real estate, be very friendly, uh, uh, go out to karaoke. Uh, he basically just lived a, a kind of hedonistic lifestyle, went on 20 cruises a year, uh, gambled a lot, as as we said a little earlier. Um, there was nothing in his record, uh, at least with the police, to suggest that he uh, was as unstable as as these acts would suggest that he was. Right. So, uh, well, you know, he ba- basically a very successful guy, um, had real estate holdings in Los Angeles and, and Nevada, uh, you know, was, I think, semi-retired at this point, 64 right. years of age. Um, he worked- so there, there's that as well. Pro- property in Florida, too. Right. He had property in various different places, in, in California and in, in Chicago as well, and different places. He went on cruises around the world. Yeah, I'm going to say that. Mm-hmm. And then... Um, he worked as a he worked in the post office, and then he moved to the IRS, and then he became an auditor for a um, precursor company of um, what is it, Alan? Lockheed Martin. Lockheed Martin. Yeah, it, it was uh, the company was originally Morton Theocall that that was bought out by Lockheed Martin, which is a kind of interesting fact in and of itself. Um, you know. He, I think the, uh, the the Columbine, you know, th- this might be a little bit of a stretch, but uh, the teens who were involved in Columbine had parents who were also involved in the kind of security military apparatus mm-hmm. um, 20 or 30 some odd years ago when, when that deadly shooting occurred. So is that connected to this? Uh, we really don't know, but... Um, well, well, it's it, all connected. It for a time so in how that many people? How many people in the U.S. work for the military-industrial complex in some way or another. I mean, uh, Paddock's three years as an accountant between 84 and 86 at Lockheed Martin or whatever it was then, by itself is just, it's a data point, but it's not like... It's nothing nothing much to look into, yeah. So, I mean, for what it's worth, the FBI kind of, I think they mentioned that based on their profiling of the case uh, of of Paddock, that this guy didn't fit any of their kind of known profiles for someone who would do this. Uh, so, mm-hmm. so w- by by describing all these things about Paddock's lifestyle and the kind of person he was, we're pretty much saying that he's not really that unusual. As far as, uh, in the sense that he, you know he's unusual mm-hmm. compared to the average Joe, he's, but he's he, not. Uh, he doesn't fit the profile of a psychopathic killer, basically. And no, and I think Vegas, that, Vegas regular, right? And uh, mm-hmm. there's probably quite a few people like him, you know, successful in their own way, but quirky and weird and a bit unbalanced, but not to the point where. Um, not, not to the point where they would go, yeah. post, go postal, even though he worked in the post office, right? He didn't, <laughs> he didn't go postal. Uh, he's not the kind of person who would go postal. He was on Valium uh, recently, which is pretty much, I'd say, about uh, 40% of the American adult population on Valium. So that's not a day, really an interesting data point either. He no. had money, so that, that, that can cover how he would pay for all the, the weapons and the explosives yeah. well, and the access and so on. Hmm. But he's 64. Does he have the stamina to fire what we're pretty sure is a machine gun, but apparently not. These are basically like AR rifles with bump stocks, so a little bit lighter. But still, he's got the stamina to do all that. He's not a big gun guy, as his brother said, so... 
you know, and certainly his lifestyle doesn't suggest that he spent his time going around shooting guns off or, or being an avid gun fan. Uh, so he doesn't fit the profile across the board anywhere for someone who would do this. So, um, And the police and the FBI agree with that statement, that this right. person does not fit the profile. They literally put out a report two days ago. Um, according to Reuters, the police, uh, Las Vegas police and the FBI are seeking the public's help in finding a motive behind Las Well, that's the motive issue. But in terms of profile specifically, um, we've, we've had Joe Lombardo, Las Vegas police uh, sheriff, um, saying that he doesn't understand that his profile isn't... Right, the FBI doesn't understand mm-hmm. it either um, in terms of their standard profile for these people. So, um, yeah. Well, maybe well, just, can I just add a few more details about him, just his data points so we have him in the background? Um, one thing that, uh, you know, that we haven't really had an idea yet in this show of like how much money he had. Apparently in 2015, according to IRS documents, he made $5 million. Um mostly from, from gambling. So this is the kind of money that he had. He was like a multimillionaire. He'd make, you know, that was probably like an average year for him. So he'd make millions of dollars a year uh, gambling. And he also, uh, according to his brother Eric, um, Eric or Stephen helped Eric out and basically made him wealthy. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the interesting things that Eric said, if you watch like the half hour interviews with him, the second one in particular, he, um, you get an idea of, you know, Eric's kind of a weird guy. Um, and he says some interesting things. And one of the things that he says is that, uh, um, okay, well, I know you guys are going to be looking into my past and, you know, my brother's past. And let me just say, you know, we, 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 we aren't perfect people, you know, no one is. Um, and, but, you know, and I was, I for sure wasn't, a you know, an ideal teenager. I'd gotten a lot of trouble as a teenager, but I mean, I didn't have a criminal record or anything because I was smart and anything I did, I was, I made sure to be around people that were dumber than me so that they would take the fall and I never get caught. You know, that's just the way I was. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I'm, I'm a better person now. Um, Did he own a plane? Did I hear that he owned yes. a plane and or was it yes, a pilot's license? Two planes. He owns yeah, two, two planes. planes. Where are they parked? Where were they normally Well, parked? he hasn't been able to fly recently, apparently, because of right. his medication. Okay. Yeah, and he didn't renew He didn't renew his, license. like, every year, I think, pilots have to get, a like, a medical right. to to show that they're still fit. So he still had his license, but because he hadn't had his medical, then he wasn't allowed to fly. And I've he- I heard that one of his planes um, he sold a while ago, and someone was you know someone on, on the internet was making a big deal about who now owned it because apparently like some uh, I can't remember like some some company tied to the military or the CIA or something had bought his plane, which I mean you know they probably buy a ton of planes, so I didn't really see anything um, big there, but but yeah, so he was a a qualified pilot. Hmm. Okay, let's move on to the. Um the shooting, I mean, it's been admitted by, or it's been mentioned on the mainstream media, the place I've seen it, uh, was on Fox News, um, uh, Sean Hannity, no, not Sean Hannity, the other guy, um, Tucker Carlson, Tucker Carlson? Uh, saying, you know, mentioning the fact that uh, social media is uh, all aflame with uh, alternative theories as to what uh, what happened here, that a lot of people out there are not... Uh, taking the official story, which is, and I suppose by that they mean that there was just one, one guy, Stephen Paddock, who did this. That, and of course, when you look at social media, look at YouTube and videos and stuff, a lot of people are talking about more than one shooter. Uh, so that's been a big thing that people claiming to have been able, being able to identify more than one shooter. Um, we kind of um, did an analysis of this and, and there were other people did a similar analysis of the 
of the gunshots that you can hear on many uh, videos taken by people with cell phones in the concert area and outside it in various different places, taxi driver near the Mandalay Bay. Um, and, and a lot of them, it seems that you can hear more than one gun. Um, we'll get back... We'll get yeah. back to that in a minute, though. But the other thing is that the other aspect is that people are pointing up, or some of the cameras are pointing up at the Mandalay Bay, to you know, capturing the area where the 32nd floor, and you can see no flash from uh, the muzzle of a gun. Now everybody would expect to see the flash from a muzzle of a gun firing, uh, you know, several hundred rounds uh, per minute um, from an automatic rifle. You'd expect to see a flash, but the the thing is that there are suppressors specifically flash suppressors for pretty much all types of automatic weapons and even and semi-automatic, semi-automatic weapons that, uh, I mean, I don't know, I haven't seen all of them. There are many different brands, but certainly there there's some videos, and I posted a video in the article uh, that, we, that we wrote on this uh, showing an, an M240, which is a, an automatic machine gun mostly used, designed and used by the U.S. military. Um, and it shows it on the side of a helicopter, which it's often used on. It's kind of like similar to an M60, you know, the one used by uh, Arnie Schwarzenegger or Rambo or something in those movies, you know, the big heavy gun that just fires all these rounds. So they're very often they're attached to the side of helicopters to shoot at, shoot, shoot at, the, at the ground below. And uh, there's a video showing uh, at nighttime with no lights on whatsoever, um, this gun firing um, without a suppressor and there's a lot of flash and with a suppressor and there's basically... No flash whatsoever, very little, little spark off the end. And without, just to clarify, that looks like a flamethrower. Right, yeah, there's flames <laughs> flying out at night. enormous yeah. flames coming out of it, so, especially a constant rapid rate of fire. Right. So the point being that the claims of, the question of where is the flash from the muzzle, it, it a person with sufficient knowledge of, of, of these guns and of uh, suppressors would be able to get one that would not show any, any Here's the uh, thing, flash uh, from the window. I, I think they found no muzzle flash suppressor in that room. They never said if they did or not. But didn't they didn't they put out an itinerary of what exactly was there? Just the guns. Types of guns. Okay. Used. No, they didn't say anything along those lines. They're not gonna say anything along those lines probably. Um so but that accounts for the fact that there was no flash from from the from the shooting on the thirty second floor. Um the other well, aspect also then, just yeah. Just a couple things on that. There are of course, there are several videos where you see that people have no idea where the, the gunfire is coming from, like they're looking in all directions. But there are other videos where it's very clear that the, you know, the witness can tell where the gunfire is coming from. Mm-hmm. I have two in mind. Um, one, of course, is the one that's been going around a lot of the uh, cab driver who is right there at the Mandalay mm-hmm. Bay Hotel. Mm-hmm. And um, in that, you, you can... Well, first of all, the gunfire sounds really close. And she says, oh, it sounds like it's coming from right up you know, from the hotel. Mm-hmm. And and then there's a, another video of a guy <clears throat> who was in the concert and he's filming on his GoPro and he's kind of on the opposite end of the stage from where the Mandalay Bay was. Mm-hmm. And so as soon as the gunfire starts, he kind of like walks out the the, the exit that's really close to the, to where he was. Mm-hmm. And the whole time he's he keeps looking back at the Mandalay Bay and he's mm-hmm. and he's like, oh, there's someone shooting from the top of that hotel. Mm-hmm. So he sounded like like so. Some people were pretty sure that there was gunfire coming from the Mandalay Bay. I right. saw that video. That wasn't actually the guy with the he he, he had a GoPro like attached to his chest or something. Um, mm-hmm. It was a very good vantage point. Um, it was actually someone else passing him by saying, it's coming from oh, the yeah. Adelaide Bay. But yeah, um, okay. it yeah. seemed pretty clear that it was coming from that direction. However, yeah. just before, it is interesting that 
that I know the video you're referring to. That's by um, he uploaded to his Facebook page. That's Carlos M- Martinez. The mm-hmm. place he was standing was right outside exit four, which is um, it's kind of like it's next to the bar slash perhaps it's a VIP area. And you see to his left, at one point he looks out actually directly out the exit. Um, his video is most interesting, I think, because his is earlier than all the others mm-hmm. for the starting time of gunfire. Mm-hmm. All the other ones, yeah. um, like the one that was probably seen the most out immediately after the shooting is where there's someone holding up their camera phone towards the back uh, of the crowd and center. So the stage in your view is right in front of you. And... James Aldean, the singer, gets up and he starts he starts playing the song, and then you, hear, you begin the you hear the rapid fire of an automatic weapon first. Carlos Martinez is interesting because you hear the first gunfire in the preceding song towards the, the very end of it, um, mm-hmm. and it's not rapid. It's crack, 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 maybe a fourth crack, three or three. four, three cracks of what sounds like a long way a rifle. Well. Well, single, single shots. Single shots from a gun. Yeah. And then and James Aldean finishes the song and Carlos Martinez, his first instinct is to look to his left. He looks at the exit, gate four, and he does it a second time. He glances over. We know because the, the, the GoPro camera attached to him is following his, yeah, well, his head turning. And, um, I don't, and then not the, song, the, the song ends and people start coming this is before the the automatic gun fires people are starting to run in mm-hmm. his direction and and he's going he says what's going on then James Aldean starts in the next song and then the rapid gunfire starts of an automatic weapon yeah i don't think he's looking in the direction when he turns around he might i think he's just looking at sussing an look, exit. looking to the left or whatever well he's not even sussing an exit he's just like looking around because i think he turns around uh, he doesn't hear those shots his camera hears those shots because it's those three shots, just one after another, a uh, few seconds in between them, that within about five or ten seconds causes several people from inside the crowd closer to the stage to start moving out. And he says on camera, what's going on? What's going on? Why are you leaving? He doesn't say, why are you leaving? He says, what's going on? These people are leaving. And mm-hmm. those people have heard those three shots. Or maybe one, you know, someone amongst them has heard it. The one, There may be the people who aren't as drunk as the rest of them, but they heard those three shots and started to leave. And just... A few seconds, maybe 10, 15 seconds after they start leaving, that's when the rapid gunfire starts leaving. Right. And then everybody starts leaving and he leaves as well. Um, so it def- I think even those three shots were coming from that direction, the direction of the Mandalay Bay. Um, and of course, the, it's plausible that, you know, Paddock could have been up there, fired one, two, three shots from one gun and put pick, it down, pick up a different one. Right. So, but the thing about the, most of the videos that talk about other other shooters are different gun two 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 types of gunfire happening at the same time are um, are people, uh, there's several people who have posted videos of this and you hear the from far away uh, and then as that's ongoing for maybe five, 10 seconds, 5 to 10 seconds, in the middle of that you hear a louder 3 or 4 cracking noises mm. that appear to be much closer here to be much closer to 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 the to the the person holding the camera but the problem with this is that and i've said this i've mentioned this earlier on to a few people um is that if you think about it this event of where you have large a large number of people Mm -hmm. in the line of fire of an automatic weapon firing 
hundreds or possibly thousands of rounds at those people and them filming it uh, that really that in, in that specific way that has never happened before there is no uh, precedent to this there's no no reference you can look at to figure out what this would sound like or what it should or should not sound like mm. because Give me an, if anybody can can contradict me here or give me an example, but the only ones I can think of were um, a kind of high caliber or large machine gun, large uh, automatic automatic weapon was being is being fired at anybody is in a, in a in a war situation, and you can see some videos on YouTube where uh, U.S. soldiers or or whatever in Afghanistan or Iraq or something are taking fire. Um, <clears throat> And you might get this. You get the sound of what it's like to be shot at by, um, you know, by, by, by an automatic gun like that. The only other thing you have is um, is videos of people on YouTube at, at gun ranges firing these weapons. But you're hearing, you're only hearing the, the the noise of these guns from the vantage point of the person who's shooting the gun. There's no one downrange standing within 10 feet of those bullets and recording them, right? That would be a silly thing to do. Generally speaking, on gun ranges, you don't shoot your weapon when there's people downrange, right? Um, so the point is, this it hasn't really been recorded ever before. And in a military situation, uh, the person being shot at, the U.S. military personnel being shot at in Afghanistan by a similar type of weapon, uh, that you don't know how far they are, is the distance the same? And those guys immediately, obviously, are taking cover and returning fire. So in terms of the sound and analyzing the sound of it, you don't get this exact scenario uh, that happened in, in in Las Vegas where someone is firing one of these weapons at people who are not firing back or simply standing there getting shot and recording it. So no one can really say what the sound effects would should or should not be like or interpret those sound effects as being two weapons. In fact, there's only one video on YouTube um, that I found, uh, and it's you know I, I'm, I'm surprised other people haven't done it before, or more people haven't uploaded videos of this. But <clears throat> it's someone firing. Uh, it's not an automatic weapon, I don't think, but it's, it's some kind of a rifle. Um, and there's three or four guys standing behind a pile of dirt, like a kind of small hill or a mound, and they're doing this on purpose. They have a camera set up, and there's a guy a hundred yards back over the mound that you don't see. And the guy's talking to him on the radio, and he he tells him he he should start firing, whatever, and he should pick, uh, you know, he's put two markers on the mound, and he should aim for those two markers like above the mound. So the point of this is, is the guy wanted to find out what it sounds like <clears throat> when bullets fly over your head, hmm. um, and it's very interesting what he records. Um, the guy fires single shots, um, and then he fires. There's a point where he fires three or four in, in, in rapid succession. What you hear on the camera is you hear the sound of the gun shooting the bullet and then when it flies over the heads of these people with the camera, you hear a crack. Um, in fact, it's the opposite way around. What you hear first is the bullet flying over their heads, which makes a cracking sound because it's going faster than the speed of sound. It's basically breaking the sound barrier. It's creating a small sonic boom, which sounds like a crack, like the cracks you hear in the, in the videos of, of Mandalay Bay, uh, the Mandalay Bay shooting. Um, and then you hear the sound of the, of the gun um, that fired that bullet. 
because the bullet is traveling faster than the speed of sound, in some cases two to three times the speed of sound. Therefore, the bullet passes you and you hear the crack of, of it passing you and breaking the speed bar barrier as it does um, before you hear the sound coming from the gun that fired it. Mm -hmm. So, um, and the, th the other thing is that, so these bullets are like little mini jets, let's say. You know when a jet flies over your head, uh, you hear a sonic boom. Uh, that sonic boom is why that plane is traveling faster than the speed of sound. That sonic boom is traveling with the plane. Uh, if it's in a straight line across a country, you know, 500 miles or something, everybody within earshot effectively of that sonic boom will hear it progressively as the plane passes over them. And it creates a sound wave that goes down and has a limited geographical area in which it can be heard. So if a plane flies, if a jet flies over us here uh, faster than the speed of sound, we'll hear a sonic boom. But people five miles up the road will not hear the sonic boom because it's out of their earshot. But anybody within that corridor that that plane is flying in uh, on the ground, um, they will hear a sonic boom all the way until it, it, till it stops flying faster than the speed of sound. The same applies to these bullets. These people... So the point about this is that you're going to hear cracks in this unique situation. You're going to hear the crack of bullets that are flying past people above their heads, beside them quite closely, that are captured by the cameras that they're holding. Um, and not all those bullets may be with an earshot. So what you hear is you can hear this crack, 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 or three cracks or four cracks. And then at the same time, or a, few, a second or two later, you hear the boom, 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 boom of the gun that fired them. And people are getting that the wrong way around. They're thinking that you hear the boom, 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 and then you hear the crack. And that's, that's kind of like what you hear first is the, is the distant boom, boom, boom. No, what you're hearing first is the crack and then the boom of the gun that fired it. Because the bullet mm -hmm. is reaching you quicker than the, than the sound of the gun that fired it. The other thing about the gun that's fired, and we did an analysis in the, in the article we, we, we wrote, and it seems almost, it's pretty much identical to, you can compare it to the weapons that they said are in, in Stephen Paddock's room basically AR-15 type rifles, uh, semi-automatic. He had a bump stock, so it makes them more or less automatic firing. But those guns fire about uh, much quicker. And you can look this up on YouTube. They fire much quicker on automatic fire. Uh, they fire about 800 rounds per minute. The type of gun that you hear firing from that hotel room is has a slower rate of fire, about 600 rounds per minute. And it matches pretty much exactly, if you look at uh, this type of weapon being fired on YouTube, it, it, um, it matches exactly the sound and the, and the speed of uh, something like an M240, which is the gun, the rifle I, I or the, the gun I described earlier, or an M60, which are fairly similar. Um, these are guns that are weigh about 23 pounds or 12 kilos. Uh, most people fire them from a bipod because they're so heavy, you're not going to stand there for any length of time with a 12 kilo gun that's recoiling on you and firing high caliber bullets. So you usually put it on the ground. So it sounds very much like, I mean, you, I mean, it's almost unmistakable because, I mean, these guns have a very definite, definite sound when they're fired and they have a very definite, yeah. particularly, particularly on automatic gunfire because the, the gun is calibrated to fire at a certain speed. Yeah, Not in this case, it would be 600 RPM. 600 RPM. You, you, you do, well, do the research yourself, match it up, listen to the boom, 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 the distant boom, boom, boom that can be, that can be heard going on for 10 seconds or 12 seconds at a time. You listen to that and then listen to the sound of an M240 being fired on, which is the military uh, automatic kind of machine gun. Uh, uh, listen to it on uh, YouTube. And and they're pretty much identical. So they don't say that one of these guns was in Paddock's room. They say, oh, yeah, they well, had the small this, caliber. This and the begs other the thing, question, why not have one of those caliber guns in, in or on Paddock? Right. 
because they think people are stupid. Um, well, might no. Well, part of the reason would be where did he get it from? Uh, yes, the, the, it's the hard, checks, much harder. To it's get. harder to get. I mean, not that he couldn't afford it, but they go for about thirty, thirty. It can be up to thirty thousand dollars for one gun, and also you need from pretty serious, extensive uh, you need checks. A federal license. Well, yeah, you need a license for, for guns. It needs to be Many registered. Places, it needs to be registered with a local sheriff. And any time you move it, you have to tell them where you move it. So the strictures on that type of gun, which was made for the U.S. military, it's, it's for combat. I mean, more so than any, I mean, you can say an AR-15 is for kind of like just your average Joe to go out and have some fun. And, you know, it's not a hunting rifle, right? But it's like, you know, it can be claimed that it's for self-protection. But this M240 type uh, weapon is for, <laughs> it's for shooting from a helicopter, basically, you know, and it's belt fed. It's not like, you know, a 30-round clip or a 60-round clip or a 100-round clip, which is the maximum clip you can get for an AR-15-type rifle. You can only fire 100 rounds at a time. And again, this is, we said this in the article, if you look at uh, YouTube videos, there are YouTube videos of people firing AR-15s with a 100-round, the maximum 100-round magazine in it, and it takes six to seven seconds to fire all of those bullets uh, on automatic. It's clear from the videos of the shooting in Las Vegas that someone was shooting from that window for 10 to 12 seconds continuously at a slower rate than an AR-15 at a rate that matches exactly pretty much exactly an M240 there's no M240 found in this room there were only light automatic semi-automatic weapons with bump stocks whatever that's the first problem right next problem um, let's take your pick what if what if we go into what if we let the Las Vegas police sheriff um, introduce something introduce some of the other anomalies of this scene at the Mandalay Bay? All right. So we're going to play a clip. <clears throat> this is taken from the second of his press conferences um, on the fourth, which would be yeah. Wednesday. So in the first minute, you're going to hear a little bit of his opening section. Well, we'll stop it along the way. Okay. Let's do that then. So initially, he's, he's giving some updates on what they found. Oops, was the wrong one. <laughs> Another investigative um, issue was cameras. Questions was presented about cameras and whether they were recording. We determined none of the cameras were recording. There was two cameras on the room service cart out in the hallway. There was one on the peephole of the front door. And additionally, there was a... Um, baby monitor camera placed in the uh, general family area of the hotel room. Uh, none of them were being recorded. Okay, let's stop it there. One thing I left out was the initial oh, pro... Right. Okay, remember that. He's given a description of these high-tech surveillance cameras positioned in the door itself, actually looking through the keyhole, and Two outside people. on the food cart. Two on the cart and one through the people. Okay. And he lets you know that none of them were recording. Okay. None of them were recording, he says. What what he means by that, we can look into in a minute. Um, and they looked out in the hallway when they observed the cameras on the room service cart. Uh, it was obviously there was several rounds discharged through the door. And through the, the blast of the bullets through the door, you could actually see uh, a weapon through those openings in the door. Uh, but no suspect was seen. Now, those rounds were the strafing rounds that he put through the door in order to shoot at the security guard. Okay, um, remember that too. At some point, Stephen Paddock is meant to have left the window during the shooting, 
gone over to the entrance to the suite, which is out of view of where the windows are positioned, and fired, strafed through the door, presumably closed, um, because it's got bullet holes left after it, at a security guard who's now arrived in the in the in the corridor outside the door. Okay. Well, here here's my problem with the, with the camera. I mean, Lombardo said there that. Um that uh, they weren't recording, but later on you'll hear him say that uh, you hear him say that um, explaining how the security guard was shot through the door was that uh, Paddock must have seen him on the on the security cameras. Now we assume from that that uh, what he meant by when by saying that the cameras were not recording was that they didn't record anything for them to view afterwards. That doesn't mean that they weren't actually being used by him. So apparently they were being used by him. Two cameras on the service cart outside the door and one on the peephole. So this is a scenario. This is pretty much locked down now. Stephen Paddock was in that room um, with uh, two cameras outside, one looking through the peephole, and a way to view the corridor from inside the room while he was firing the gun, supposedly. Now, obviously, he's concerned about someone coming to get him, right? Uh, hearing him firing from a <laughs> from a hotel, right? A casino complex. He's firing, high, uh, you know, firing thousands of rounds from the window. Somebody's going to come along the corridor. He needs to be aware of that. But my question with that is: is how effective is that? How can somebody really do that? You're, um, you know, you're you're spending, you know, you're moving between two guns. If you if you listen to the uh, to to the shots that are fired, there, in, in some cases, there's only you know ten or twenty seconds. Um, between long bursts of gunfire from the from the hotel room, so how is he meant to be shooting the gun and keeping watch on this on this video screen showing the hallway at the same time? I mean, it just doesn't seem very practical. I mean, if you're going to do that, surely you have someone keeping watch for you. You're not the one. I mean, you're focused on you're focused on firing into this crowd. And, you know, you're setting up your gun. I mean, it's very, you know, okay, no matter how, he wasn't experienced, he wasn't a gun guy, so he's, he's taking his time, whatever, he's getting it set up, he's, he's lying, he has to be on a platform to look down at that angle, he has to be raised up, he has it on a, you know, he, he has it on a tripod, even some of the guns in the room were on, on, on sorry, on bipods. So, you know, and if it's the M240 that was being used, even though it wasn't the room, he's, he's got a belt, he's got a box of ammunition and it's feeding in and stuff, you know, and it takes a lot of time and concentration to keep your gun trained on that area because you know you got to hold it straight mm-hmm. and there's a lot of uh, change in angle and stuff can happen as the bullet falls down if you want to be shooting these people so you got to be very focused on that and there's a prep time before it and afterwards and then you're mm-hmm. moving between windows supposedly and how is he keeping an all, eye on this freaking camera while he's doing this all of this it takes place in 10 minutes right according to um lombardo you citing the police body cams of officers on the scene and then arriving at the scene after the shooting begins. They have established that shooting begins at 10.05 p.m. and ends at 10.15 p.m. So that's 10 minutes only. Dead, yeah. you got to be, I mean, you're, it's round after round or burst after burst. You're one guy. You're, you're only focused, surely, on what's going on out there, out absolutely. there below, what you're aiming you're, focused, you're absolutely intensely focused on what's on, on, going on inside. And so your cameras are practically useless to you unless you have another guy mm-hmm. watching a camera. Do you know if you – did anybody remember ever going to – I mean, I remember going and stealing apples from my neighbor's garden when I was a kid. Sure. And I would always take a friend with me to <laughs> make – Don't incriminate yourself. Okay. It's too late now. I've said it. And, <laughs> uh, and I would always take a friend with me to keep watch to make sure that I didn't come out and catch me stealing his apples. 
right? It's not such a natural thing. If you're going to do something that you decide you're going to need someone to keep a lookout, be the lookout for you, someone else is the lookout. I mean, so this is just more kind of circumstantial or plausible uh, argumentation for there being more than one person in this room if you're going to carry out this 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 kind of an operation and you're going to go to the bother of setting up cameras, right? Mm-hmm. Because the problem here is, and it's not just enough to have one other person in the room looking at the people, because you know what the people look, people looks at? It looks at the other wall. That's why he had a service camera outside with the, with two cameras on it, or service card outside with two cameras on it looking down the hallway. Mm-hmm. So someone had, he had to have this wireless setup where he could see down the hallway with two cameras on the card outside and someone else had to be checking that for him. It's completely rational and logical if you're going to plan this. And apparently he'd been planning this for a year. He was buying guns by last October. So in the rest of this clip now, it's it's Lombardo at the Q&A at the end of this press conference Wednesday. So he's taking questions from reporters. I hope you can hear them. They're a bit low, but you'll certainly hear his answers. Okay, so we've just taken a few really curious ones and put them together. We're still trying to figure out whether he had the accomplices. Right. Yeah, we're obviously going that this individual was able to move this amount of gear into a hotel room uh, unassisted. Um, it's troublesome for the amount of stuff he had at both residents um, unassisted. And interesting enough, I read a periodical uh, today, earlier today, and it was from an FBI profiler that didn't understand this individual. Um, usually there's a telltale sign associated with these types of actions, um, you know, reclusive, um, a, a of things associated with this mindset, and we have not found that yet. Anything that would indicate uh, this individual's trigger point uh, and that would cause him to do such harm, um, it, we haven't understood it yet. And I think it's important for us to get to there, and you have to be patient with us. Because this premeditation of this room, this is well thought out. You know. Well, right there, Lombardo agrees with us exactly. The premeditation, the level of planning, the sophistication they saw in that room, in that hallway, mm-hmm. is so big that he himself is standing there 72 hours after the event with, like the rest of us, with this jaw hanging. Right, <laughs> down around his ankles, going, right. "What the hell just happened in Vegas?" Right. So that's what he's just saying between the lines. I'm as clueless as the rest of you. Maybe not. I'm privy to a few more details, but I'm still asking the same questions. Right, and there's more details. <laughs> yeah, and I just wanted to add that uh, you know you even had people like uh, Trey Gowdy come out in the media, uh, Congressman Trey Gowdy, to say you know th- this would require a great deal of premeditation and assistance. And, um, you know, th- this is somebody, a, a prosecutor, someone who's had a, a, a lot of experience in, uh, in, in looking at various cases mm-hmm. saying, you know, th- this picture doesn't fit. Right. Um, there, there were a couple of other anomalies with the room. Okay. Let's, uh, let's just carry on with let, our, let's, let's just, just carry on. Along. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Carry on. Very good question. Um, no, I do not know. Um, what was it? That question was. That question was: Do we know at what time the shooter stopped firing? Right. I don't know if uh, this is my assumption. No, that was that question was: Do we know why the shooter stopped firing? Ah, okay. Only my assumption, and nobody's been able to dispel my assumption as of today. Um, I believe because of his uh, countermeasures placed in the peephole and in the hallway, he observed. Uh, 
the security guard and he was in fear that he was about to be breached. Uh, so he was doing everything possible to figure out how he could escape at that point. Do you know when the security guard was separated from the other officers? It was my understanding before I had said he had gotten separated. That was inaccurate. What had happened was he was conducting an investigation based on uh, customers calling in, and he was personally attempting to locate uh, what was occurring. Um, he happened upon that doorway because it was ajar, uh, which keyed his interest. All right. So, <laughs> so, so look, the answer to the question, uh, why did he stop firing, was because the security guard, uh, he saw the security guard. Paddock saw the security guard coming through his cameras, coming up the hallway, and he decided he he might get busted. So he he was immediately trying to do something to 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 escape. Let's say the cameras that were not recording. Right, but apparently we allow for that 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 meant that that didn't record anything, but that it they didn't were leave anything to be seen. Right, afterwards, exactly. but that it could be live streamed. So it was speak. working. Yeah, there were right. wireless cameras that were that were working and they were at a live view of the of the hallway. Now so this this security guard. Right. Well, <laughs> the other point. The other point here is that the door was the security guard walks up. Initially, the first iteration of this was that the security guard was just on his rounds and happened on this scene on the thirty-second floor. Now we're being told that um, he had got uh, he had received information or phone calls or whatever from other people in the hotel that something was going on, and so and they identified somewhere on this floor. So he goes up to the thirty-second floor and. What draws his attention to this room is that the door is ajar, i.e. open. Um, why would you leave your door open in this scenario? No one knows. But apparently the narrative goes that the door is ajar. Um, the security guard comes along and says, oh, that's an interesting door. It's open. I wonder why it's open. And as soon as he stands in front of the door... Paddock fires 200 bullets by Sheriff Lombardo's estimation through the door uh, and apparently only mildly wounding the security guard on the leg to the extent that the security guard was able to then continue to assist police who had arrived in the hallway to evacuate some of the rooms. That's extremely anomalous. You can hear on the police scanner that they are advising in the, in the run-up to the moment about an hour later when they actually make the SWAT team makes the breach. You can hear them advising long before that all regular police units, strike teams, to pull back, pull back, and leave the hallway just for the SWAT teams. Mm-hmm. And this security guard is meant to have been, what, with them the whole time. He, he mm-hmm. got a free pass when the regular strike team cops right. were told to stand that well, to move back. Let, let's hear some more. After he saw the security guard, that his concern became himself. Did you see any evidence that he planned to survive this or try to escape? Yes. I can't tell you. Question was from a journalist: Did you see any evidence that Paddock, Paddock planned to survive this to escape? That he had an intention to survive as part of his plan and escape? And the answer from the sheriff is yes, a definitive yes. Can you tell us what that evidence is? No, I can't tell you that. And that's the end of it. So there is definitive evidence that Stephen Paddock had part of his plan, uh, or part of his plan was to escape and to survive and to get out of that room. Now, um, my question is, of course, some people... Uh, his, on this his, pro- his profile just became even more 
complicated to, to right. figure out. Because if it's a, if it's a guy going postal on right. a mission, even if he prepares a years to express his postalism, okay, he knows he's going to be suicide. I mean, this is a suicide right. mission. There's no way out of it. Right. But he expects to live. Right. But then it brings up the question of um, uh, why did he commit suicide? And someone uh, posted this question on this video of, of Sheriff Lombardo saying this, that there was evidence that he planned to escape. Uh, but he can't tell anybody what it is, what that evidence is. And uh, someone on the YouTube video said, uh, well, uh, posed the, the obvious question, well, why did he kill himself? And, uh, and a true believer respond, responded to, to this poster saying, can you not get into your head that, you know, things just went wrong for him with his escape plan and that he was, you know, just, it, it, there was no way out and he decided to off himself? Can you not just conceive of that? And I couldn't help but respond and say, well, uh, how exactly did his escape plan go wrong? How exactly was he prevented in this scenario from escaping? He wasn't. He well, wasn't at all. He was loaded up with, with 18 rifles. Uh, the only thing that happened was the security guard came along with no weapon, I might add, and he and Paddock had shot through the door and shot him in the leg and the security guard scarpered down the hallway. Right there is your opportunity to leave. No. What he did instead was blow his head off. Because he had a plan to escape, and when the opportunity came to put his plan for escape into action, he decided to blow his head off. That's the narrative. You know, excuse me if I call bullshit here, you know. Uh, this is this story is so full of holes, and there's more. We haven't even finished. We haven't, well, we scratched the surface, but we haven't haven't finished by, by any yardstick yet in, in, in the ridiculous. I mean, put it this way. You know, I was saying to somebody earlier on, if, if we, which we kind of are, if we were investigating this, Mm. And we are investigating this. What we're actually investigating in, in the kind of classic uh, situation, we're doing what, this, what the police and the FBI are doing right now, which is bringing people into a room who are persons of interest, who are, who are uh, at the scene, who are implicated in some way or might be involved and you want to... They might know something. You want to discount them from your, from your inquiry. Um, you bring them in, you ask them questions, and then you bring in the, and the next person uh, who was maybe at the same, in the same place, and then you compare stories, right? Mm. You get a story from one person. Okay, tell me what happened. Okay, thanks very much. Now you come in. Tell me what happened. Well, you know, if I do, if if we did this and we are doing this on the story from uh, Lombardo and the guy who replaced him, because Lombardo obviously has given away far too much information here. Uh, the uh, the under sheriff of the uh, of of Las Vegas is now the one who's uh, doing, speaking to doing, the press, doing the pressers, and this FBI guy. Uh, Aaron C. Rouse that you can see standing there like smoking man out of the, X, out of the X-Files um, mm -hmm. right beside him all the time and who also speaks to camera and the commissioner uh, who also speaks to camera I would get those three or four people into a room and based on what they're saying here and what they have said in the press conferences if, if I ask them to tell me the story of what happened here what, what are you saying happened and then get the next one in and get the details from them or if I just use the details that are available I would conclude one of them or more is they're lying. all lying all of them or one of them is lying or one of them is telling the truth and they're all lying there's something seriously wrong with this story um let's uh a couple more responses to journalists from lombardo yeah can you give us any more detail about the, the magnitude of the gunfire that he encountered when he got when he was spotted yeah my personal observation well over 200 rounds straight to the hallway so it's amazing that that security guard didn't sustain additional injury. Yeah. Are there any other persons of interest in this investigation? <coughs> well, is there any other? No. Concrete. 200 rounds through the door. Now, I want you to look at the picture in our slideshow. 
for this show of the pictures. It's the last one or the first one ever. It's a picture of the door that was strafed by 200 rounds of gunfire, supposedly, according to the sheriff. Um, notice that it's a double door and that the left-hand door is the one that has the bullet holes in it. Um, the door has been blown off and it's lying on its side. This is after they blew off the door and went in. But previous to that... Blew off the ajar door. Right, well, maybe he closed it after he shot <laughs> through 200 bullets. Maybe, through it. maybe he, he shot. But anyway, they blew off the door. The door's lying on its side. Now, what I don't know, what I'd like to know, is which end, which end is up on that door? Because if you look at the right-hand door, you can see two arrows pointing at the the kind of beam in between the two doors. There's a double door and there's a beam in between. At the, in the, on the beam in the middle, there's two arrows pointing to two bullet holes. If that door... Most of the bullet holes in the door that is lying inside the room are towards one end. I'm, I'm assuming it's towards the top end because of those two bullet holes that are high up on the dividing bar uh, that they would kind of match that stream, that collection or grouping of bullets. So basically, if you put that door from the way it's lying right now, stand it up towards the left, that puts it back in place. You see all of these bullet holes in the left-hand door and just two that are marked with arrows in the beam. Those bullet holes are all at about average head height or chest height. Um... That doesn't. I mean, it could be wrong. They could. You could turn around and and that's they're towards the bottom, and there are two at the top for some reason. But there are two bullet holes at the top in the in the beam. I'd just like to know, anyway. But uh, getting on, because that would actually tell you that would be another hole in the story as to how the security guard got shot in the leg when the door was strafed uh, at about head height. <clears throat> anyway, um, <clears throat> the main problem here is how much have we got left? Is there, is there more on the there's more on the on the security guard, no? I don't think so, no. No. Okay, so the story is that the security guard was walking around this hallway. Uh, he had either been told to go there by guests because there was noise or shooting or something, or he was on his rounds. We don't know. We're given both of these scenarios. He comes to this door that's ajar. It gets strafed. He's already, before he gets to the door, he has already notified police where he is because of what he's been told, that there's something going on on this floor. The police arrive based on a timeline that you can see in this video that we're referring to by uh, of the press conference with uh, Bombardo. The timeline is that um, he arrives, the police arrive, police officers of the Los Angeles Police Department arrive one minute um, after um, more or less one minute after the security guard gets there or I think it's one minute after it's not very clear but maybe one minute after he gets shot the police are on the same floor as him so the point is that the sheriff has not said um, well, are you sure there isn't any more of this? I'm not sure, no Let's let's listen to the rest of it. Just because there's a point I want to make here. We're we're looking at it this way, Ken. Is there another one? And we're determining to find out if there was. Um, I mean, it's important not to close this case until we run down everything. Should we ask the terrorists? Because look at this. I mean, you look at the 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 weapon obtaining. 
Um, there are different amounts of tannerite available. Um, do you think this was all accomplished on his own? Self-value, um, face value. You got to make the assumption that he had to have some help at some point, and we want to ensure that that's the answer. Maybe he's a super guy. Maybe he a uh, superhero, not a hero, a super. super yeah. you know, I won't use the word. Um, um, maybe he's, you know, a super Yehu um, that had was working out all this on his own, um, but. It'd be hard for me to believe that. And to that, do we need to ask? The and here, here's the reason question. why: put put one and one together, two and two together. Another residence in Reno with several firearms, okay, electronics and everything else associated with uh, large amounts of ammo. A place in Mesquite. We know that he had a girlfriend. Do you think this is all self-facing? Individuals are just um, without talking to somebody. It was sequestered amongst themselves. I mean, come on, folks. Yeah, come on, folks. It's, uh, it's so, kind of implausible. But that's just the sheriff basically saying that he doesn't think that there's not everything he's seen. That's, it, that's, that's hard sh- to believe. Yeah, that's the sheriff saying he doesn't believe one person did this. Right, pretty much. And that's why he's no longer doing the press conference. Okay, so for everybody who doesn't believe that this could be the case, and you're basing your – for everybody who still believes that this was uh, done by Stephen Paddock on his own, because what? Because the official story said that? Because the FBI that has taken over this – investigation right now is claiming that this he's the only person this is you're making that basis on their hearsay on the credibility of the fbi now if you think the credit the fbi have any credibility then you're deluded uh, they would not uh, concoct a plan or concoct a, a story they have done hundreds thousands of times uh, even over the past 10 or 15 years with their terror plots you know i mean the fbi is just um at this stage synonymous with cover-ups and uh, and deception and uh, you could even say kind of false flag attack, false flag operations. But anyway, um, the point of it is, there's no point to believe the FBI, and there's every reason to believe, based on the evidence, there's every reason to believe what, uh, at least in this case, what uh, Sheriff Lombardo was saying that uh, that the, this guy must have had help from someone to carry off this operation. And the reason to believe Sheriff Lombardo is because he was in the room. He saw stuff that he's not allowed to tell you by his own admission, probably at the direction of the FBI. He's not allowed to tell you various different things uh, about what is in that room and what they saw. But he saw it. And his result, his conclusion is there's no effing way this guy did it on his own. But yet people will still say, no, I'm I'm going to basically believe the FBI. uh, An organization that has a long, like I said, a long history of, of deceiving the American people. But Russia gave anyone? Jesus, I mean, it's not long as your arm. But the point here is that there's another aspect that we didn't get up from this interview, but you can listen to it yourself. It's a 35, 40-minute uh, press conference, and there's a part in it where one of the journalists asks Lombardo, the sheriff, um, do you know when Pada killed himself? And the sheriff doesn't know exactly how to answer that question. But he says, uh, more or less, that they believe they're assuming that it may have happened when the SWAT team blew off the door and there's a small explosion when they blew off the door and it was at that precise moment that Paddock chose to shoot himself and masking, the point being that it masked the sound of the gunshot. And why is that important? That's important because Paddock stopped 
shooting at about 10.15. At about 10.17, the security guard was on the floor outside his open door room. And Paddock shot him through the door in the leg with 200 other bullets. And one minute later, the police were on that floor and stayed there for 45 minutes waiting for a SWAT team. And throughout that 45 minutes, from the point when Paddock shot the security guard and the SWAT team went into the room, there was no sound of a gunshot. And they would have heard it because they were on that on that floor. So the question then arises, who shot Stephen Paddock? Your only, only plausible explanation, and it's highly implausible, I would say, is that it just so happened that Stephen Paddock shot himself after waiting for 45 minutes in his room at the precise time, the precise moment when the SWAT team provided cover for the sound of his shot by blowing off the door. One last confidence trick as he sails on out of his time on planet Earth. But no, hang on a second, he's not on a suicide mission, he plans to live. What? What? There's a serious contradiction there. Um, and Lombardo himself, he's saying, I, yeah, I know, there's contradictions. There are other points, it is, Doug Joe said, it's worth listening to. I mean, there are other points where Lombardo's like, he's asked about this um, this woman, Mary Lou Danley. Um, and he, he says, uh, I don't know, I, I haven't interviewed her, the FBI have. And they haven't released that information yet, even to me. And he basically, and then he says, uh, "It's it, maybe they've deemed it not yet fit for public consumption." <laughs> I mean, he's it's not so much that he's getting his digs in, but that he's as flummoxed by the stonewalling or roadblocks apparently coming from the the guy who's standing and staring at him throughout that conference. Who right. is this guy, Joe? You you found that some scary man? Well, it's not hard to find out. RNC Roos is he's uh, currently the special agent in charge um, of the FBI in Las Vegas, or for the Las Vegas division. Let's say he started out uh, July, He started out in the FBI in 1996 uh, as just a Washington field, office, field officer. In um, 2002, he was given, <clears throat> he was chosen to join the National Security Branch at the Washington field office and work the asymmetric threat posed by a top-tier threat country. Mm. Sounds impressive. Uh, in January 2005, Mr. Roos became a supervisory special agent in the counterintelligence division at FBI HQ and worked as program manager for counter-espionage matters. Uh, in 2007, he was selected as a senior liaison, liaison to the newly established Community Human Coordination Center at the CIA headquarters. In this position, he deconflicted human enabled operations worldwide for not only the FBI, but for all federal agencies regarding counterintelligence, counterterrorism, and criminal matters. So important point there is that's an important uh, step in his career because in April 2007, he was selected. What that means is that he was, he, he was basically the uh, senior liaison. He oversaw, let's say, uh, <laughs> these terms they use community human coordination center um, he deconflicted human enabled operations worldwide what that means human is human intelligence which means that basically means running 
agents and double agents um and like for example in in the context of in 2007 it would have been um uh, he, he deconflicted uh, he solved problems he was a problem solver for cia and fbi domestically fbi and cia overseas uh agents who were running operations where they were um kind of uh contracting or contacting um, let's say double agents in terrorist organizations and directing them basically any problems with those operations where the CIA would go in and um, let's say get an agent within Al-Qaeda or something put, you know, convert one of the guys in Al-Qaeda and get him to you know, do something for them I mean you can just use your imagination for the kind of thing that the CIA does in those operations but uh, this guy uh, standing beside um, Lombardo is pretty much the guy, a troubleshooter for CIA terror plots, let's say, CIA terrorist operations overseas. Uh, operations that would involve, for example, um, I don't know, a good example would be using, using the example of the uh, an, an incident that occurred with the, with the British in, uh, I think it was in 2005 in Iraq. Uh, it's in the newspapers and we wrote an article on it that, at the time. Uh, two British SAS, basically military, British military intelligence uh, operatives, were uh, driving a car in Baghdad, a local car um, that was full of explosives in the trunk and had weapons in the back. Um, they both of them were dressed in full Arab garb, as the article described. Uh, they were stopped at an Iraqi checkpoint. Uh, they they shot uh, one of the Iraqi policemen. But they were subsequently apprehended and put in jail. And then a British tank came and knocked the wall of the jail down and rescued them. And it was basically, you know, covered up. Uh, the British said uh, they were just doing very important work, and uh, that's all we have to say about the matter. But these two guys were dressed as Arabs, and this was in the context of bombs, car bombs going off in Baghdad, uh, basically every week. Uh, car bombs being left in cars at marketplaces in Baghdad, killing you know, dozens or sometimes hundreds of people. Uh, these guys were caught dressed as Arabs with a car full, ex car full of explosives. So this is the kind of thing that these Western intel agencies get up to with their operatives. And Mr. Roos here, that is standing beside Lombardo, was the guy who would oversee uh, some of those operations in terms of uh, dealing with uh, issues or problems with them. That's basically his background. Um, that was 2007, he was doing that. 2009, he was promoted um, as a program coordinator for counterintelligence in the Tampa division. In 2013, he received promotion and served as the National Security Branch Assistant Special Agent in charge for the San Antonio division. 2014, he was appointed as section chief for the clandestine operations section in the counterintelligence division at FBI headquarters. So he was um, he was the section chief for clandestine operations. He's a spook. Deep state. Right, so he's the chief of clandestine operations in counterintelligence division at FBI headquarters. That's a pretty big division with a lot of people, and he's the chief man. He basically oversees clandestine operations for the FBI in the context of counterintelligence. And this guy is now overseeing this investigation and sweeping up all of the evidence. Um, a couple of days after the shooting... A curious report came out um, about two bullet holes being found in fuel tanks on the airport grounds. 
So go to your Google Maps of this layout. You'll have to scan back a bit and find these two fuel tanks. You you can't miss them because they they kind of stand out because there's a kind of open open plain or field. There's not much growing on it, but it's just a, an open lot between the venue and these fuel tanks. Two bullet holes. Well, in the reporting of it, they I don't know they 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 didn't get it from the police source, but anonymous law enforcement officials confirmed that the two bullet holes were indeed the result of two bullets coming from the Mandalay Bay Hotel. Um, now, this is some 800 plus meters over to 2,100 feet from uh, Suite 135 on the 32nd floor. There's no other reports of any other fire in the vicinity. In other words, everything's directed below at the concert venue. <clears throat> And yet here we have these two bullet holes. The report goes on to tell us that in the 24 hours since it had been noticed or seen or reported, uh, f first responders have already been to whitewash, i.e. paint or repair the fuel tanks. Somebody contacted the owner of the fuel tanks, which is Swissport, a company that supplies fuels to airports or, or manages them at hangars and airports. And uh, they confirmed that, uh, no, it's okay. Our fuel tanks are still functional. Okay, well, thanks for that. These two fuel tanks, they service private planes because surrounding them are private terminals. So small companies and one big company. This same report, let it be known that just behind, just beyond these two fuel tanks, is a private terminal, so not just a hangar, but a place where the actual people come in and check in to fly and fly out from and then return. A private terminal known locally as CIA Airlines. This is the terminal for so-called Janet Airlines. Janet not being its official name, it's the, it's the um, code name they use for their flights in and out of there. This little terminal just beyond those fuel tanks daily flies in and out of McCarran Airport in Las Vegas to many U.S. military sites all around Nevada and elsewhere in the U.S. Southwest. About a thousand, I'm citing the article here, uh, military VIPs, either private contractors or actual U.S. Air Force or other military officials. They basically live in and around Las Vegas and they go to this private terminal daily and they're flown from there on these, these Janet Airlines, which are unmarked except for one distinguishable red strip along the side of each of the plane in the fleet of about 10 or 15 aircraft they use there. And they're flown to, well, the article says to Area 51, other secret or semi-secretive bases or facilities, and to some facilities that the U.S. Air Force operates its, its drones from all over the world. This is the brain center of the, the drone war is right there in Nevada and New Mexico, I think. Anyway, daily drone operators and uh, military VIPs, spooks, and who knows who, uh, def private defense contractors, 
it's it's kind of like there have been many articles, well, not many, but there have been a few articles in recent years about these Janet Airlines. So it's kind of like an open secret, but there's a limit to what's known about it. I just find it in, incredible. Well, not incredible, but it's it's, it's an incredible piece of. Uh, it's not evidence, but it's it's just really curious that just beyond these fuel tanks, which got hit by random spray from the 32nd floor, perhaps. But that, that's a long way away from the venue. Um, who was firing with that? Was that some? Was that the paddock supposedly up in the room? Th- this report, by the way, it's 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 worth reading in full. It, the weird thing about it is published in Radar Online, which is like a celebrity gossip website. Um, and supposedly, uh, someone reached out to this website to tell them about this. It was then picked up by ABC and other um, mainstream regular news websites. Um, But in this thing, I've already made an assumption, my own assumption, that two random bullets hit those fuel tanks. But the article goes on to make the suggestion that it was deliberately targeted by Stephen Paddock. Because uh, he hated the CIA. Because he, because of some, yeah. He had a grievance against the CIA. It kind of sounds like nonsense to me. It's just adding more kind of like speculation about, you know, what his motives were. When this guy was pretty much obviously a patsy. I mean, everybody knows that he, Lee Harvey Oswald was a patsy. What's wrong with Stephen Paddock being a patsy? Is it because so many people were killed? Lee Harvey Oswald, he was only implicated, he was only the patsy for the murder of the president, right? Just one person. 58 innocent people? Harder to take, no? That's that's the basis of people's uh, rationale or thinking around this. But see, that's not thinking. You're not critically thinking at all. You're allowing your emotions to influence your thinking. If you accept the fact that Lee Harvey Oswald was a patsy, was a patsy and that someone within the deep state, or whatever you want to call it in the US, set that scenario up to murder JFK and blame someone who didn't do it, if you can accept that, then you should logically be able to accept that the same thing could be happening here in Las Vegas. And if you look at the evidence, the evidence argues for Stephen uh, Paddock being a, being a patsy. But people don't want to believe that, refuse to believe that, and grasp at everything else and say that they, they're not convinced because, well, what? And the only thing I can think of is because more in, because far more innocent people were killed. It wasn't just one present. It was lots of innocent people. It's a horrific uh, mass murder of innocent people. And I don't want to believe that our government would do that. This is what we come across over and over again. People just don't want to believe. It's not that they look at the facts and assess the facts and come to a rational conclusion. They, they, they engage their emotions or their emotions are engaged and they do not want to believe the truth, basically, or what the evidence is pointing to. Because, well, because emotions. And that's the problem. No one's going to get anywhere or get at the truth ever. But some people aren't interested in the truth, really. They're just interested in what makes them feel better, what 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 kind of... You know, mollifies their emotions, or, or you know, makes them makes them feel not so bad. Makes gives them a nice, more more pleasant narrative than than the rather horrific one being uh, that, that your government, a part, some element of of some unelected part of your government that the president doesn't even know anything about, Trump knows nothing about, and only a few select people know know, know stuff about, know anything about, uh, is 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 capable of carrying out these kind of operations to cow the American people to turn them into authoritarian followers, to, to, to throw them 
back into the arms of the state to look for protection against these kind of mass murders that happen because it's just some guy puts even product in it. These people crave control and crave the control. They, they desire almost complete or complete control of, of the population over which they rule. And they want control of your minds and your thinking. They want, the, they want you, the public, to look to them as your authorities and to keep them, keep the authorities firmly in your sights as the ones to look to for protection. And the way they do that, kind of almost uh, um, bizarrely in a certain sense or contradictorily, they they do that by by bludgeoning you, by by bludgeoning the the conscience conscience or the consciousness of of the of the American public. I mean, because there's no doubt that most of the American population were in some way psychologically affected by this mass murder in in, in Las Vegas, and that's the effect, I, I do want to. It's the effect that the authorities desire to achieve, that they want to achieve, and that's what they're achieving. And the only antidote to that manipulation, that crass manipulation, is to put aside your emotions in this situation and look at the facts and face the uncomfortable truth. Because that is the world you live in, whether you want to believe it or not. That is the type of world you live. That, that is the type of world we live. We live in. And these are the type of authorities that that kind of rule over us, or that are in, in power over us. And if anybody wants hard evidence, if there's two things, let's say that people can't get their head around, well, you just need to look them up and see that they're that they are they are part of your reality. They are factual parts of your reality. One of them is that let's say a precedent that a Western government has happily gone to the to the place, let's say, of conceiving of a plan and implementing a plan to murder their own their own citizens in order to achieve a political objective, which involves, by definition, manipulating or coercing or in some way influencing the minds of the population. There's Hard evidence on record of the British government doing that in Northern Ireland in the 1970s and 1980s, where they sent agents out to murder innocent civilians in order to achieve a particular objective, to influence public opinion. That is indisputable fact. So what that says is that amongst this, in this rarefied atmosphere, let's say, of these, of the top echelon in, in governments, who think in this way of social engineering effectively and influencing popular opinion, but these people have no problem going to that place of planning and implementing the murder of civilians to achieve their objectives. In the case of Paddock and of Lee Harvey Oswald and probably plenty of other people involved in FBI stings of the, over the past 10 years, which are basically FBI um, entrapment operations, there is... Um, in the case of Paddock, it's plausible because there's hard evidence that, again for it that uh, Paddock had his mind messed with. Uh, and we can refer to, for example, the documentation and the video evidence and the independent investigations into the murder of Robert Kennedy. Robert Kennedy was supposedly killed, shot by Sirhan Sirhan. But it's it's a part of official record that Sirhan Sirhan had a gun with six bullets, I think, in it, and he fired them all, or maybe he fired four or five. I don't know the exact details, but what is 
uh, what I do know is that in that room, in the basement of that hotel, in Chicago, I think it was, there were more bullets in the walls, recovered from the walls, than there were in Sirhan's gun. Someone else was firing. The other detail is that Sirhan was, when he fired his gun, he was in front of Robert Kennedy. And the fatal shot that killed Robert Kennedy was fired behind his right ear. Now, you know, as much as you might want to believe in a more comfortable narrative, it's not possible for Sirhan Sirhan to have shot him behind the ear when he was standing in front of him. Therefore, someone in the room shot Robert Kennedy because they wanted him dead, someone who could do it and get away with it, and they were also able to blame Sirhan Sirhan. Not only that, but they were able to get Sirhan Sirhan, a guy with no past record of wanting to kill anybody or of killing anybody or any criminal behavior, they were able to get him to go down to that room and, sh- and, and fire, fire a gun at Robert Kennedy. How did they do that? Well, afterwards, as we have discussed on this show a couple of years ago, um, when Sirhan Sirhan was in jail, not long afterwards, um, a doctor who was also a hypnotherapist, went in on the after talking to Sirhan's lawyer, uh, who believed mm-hmm. that Sirhan had had his head messed with in some way by someone. Uh, the doctor went in, and after spending a short time with him, was able to convince Sirhan, through using hypnotherapy techniques, that he was a monkey. And got him to climb up the bars of his cell and make monkey noises. And his conclusion was that Sirhan was had been subjected to some form of hypnosis slash mind programming, if you want to call it. And this was directly linked to the reason why he was in that room uh, firing a gun. And how long ago was that? Is it 50 years yet? 50 years ago, someone was doing this to people, putting them in positions, in this case in a hotel as well, Sirhan Sirhan, shooting a gun, When and afterwards Sirhan had no recollection of what he did. So Hans survived and he's in jail today still for it. But uh, if that can be done 40, 50 years ago, why would anybody discount the idea that Stephen Paddock, given his history and given his medication and his kind of like type of personality or um, nature, let's say, that he could not also have been messed with in the same way uh, and very simply uh, encouraged in one way or another to be in that room on that day, in order to play the part of Patsy, as Sirhan Sirhan did and as Lee Harvey Oswald did. These are entirely rational and plausible explanations to what happened in Las Vegas, and they stand in their, in, in that plausibility, they stand in complete contrast to the implausibility of the official narrative of Stephen Paddock, and, and not really a gun guy doing this. The FBI are stumped as to why he did it. He had no reason whatsoever to do it. And we have a history and attract uh, uh, references, historical references, for people being manipulated in these situations to play the part of Patsy. But apparently no one wants to go there. Why? Because it doesn't feel good? Well, sorry. End of rant. Okay, another big part of what was going on in Las Vegas that night um, are the multiple active shooter reports um, all up and down the strip. The Mandalay Bay is sort of the first big casino 
at the south end of the strip, a mile and a half north, or or even further, as like as far as Caesars, there were reports of shots fired or people with guns. Um, now these reports, these were made, these were picked up. You can hear them; they're they're published online on the live scanner audio of, of police making reports to their own central dispatcher. Um, now, the police themselves, it looks like they're always hearing it from someone at the hotel, either staff or someone who's a customer. Um, so many casinos, the Aria, um, the New York, New York. Caesar Palace. The Tropicana. Caesar Bellagio. Palace, Bellagio, the Excalibur. Um, here's, here's one for the doubters. Here's one for the doubters. Well, well, can Excla- I, can, Go ahead. Can I, can I just finish this? The, <clears throat> what's interesting, these reports were made after 11.20. So SWAT team has gone, you hear them go, breach, breach, breach. <laughs> That's supposedly the door being exploded or like... It's blown off. Blown up. <laughs> at 11.20. At 11.20. And then it carries on. There's a few other updates from that SWAT team later uh, th- throughout the um, transcript. And you hear it on the audio too. Uh, confirming there's just one suspect in the room. One suspect is down. Okay. But then there's all these other calls coming in from 11.20 all the way up to about midnight. Up and down the strip. In fact, with each, with each one, it pretty much moves in a northerly direction. It successively gets each casino is further and further away. Now, there's no video evidence. There, is, there are a couple of videos, though, that are curious. One was filmed from inside the area and the other from the Bellagio. There's another one inside Caesar's Palace. Okay, and the area one three shows vi- people running. There's three videos. All three of them show people running. Okay. One of them in the area with someone shouting, there's a, there, there's a gun, someone has a gun, or someone shouting shots. Someone, I think it's, it's a gun. There's a gun or something. Uh, in the area, people are running and screaming. In the Bellagio, people are running uh, en masse, and, and there's a woman, uh, Rene Downs, uh, who made a couple of videos? She was in the Bellagio that night, and she testifies that, and she has video of the people all sitting, sitting around, and and, and another one people running uh, to the back of the hotel, and um, she said that there were there were the sound of shots in the lobby or outside the lobby, and everybody ran screaming. Uh, in Caesar's Palace, there's a video, uh, a guy who took a video, and there's a there's a write up about it. Him and his wife were in the in Caesar's Palace that night, and there were uh, he didn't say there were any shots fired, but there was there was people screaming. Uh, run, run, and there are hordes of people running away from the lobby into the back of the hotel, and the same thing happened in the, as I said, in the, or we said in the, in the Bellagio. So Bellagio, Caesar's Palace, and the area all have video of people screaming and running away from the lobby in the context of there being a shooter or someone saying those, there were shots fired. Um, these these hotels are all at least one mile away from the Mandalay Bay. Yeah. These, pe- these people knew at the time that had heard reports that there was shooting at the at the Mandalay Bay. But imagine you heard that they're shooting. The, uh, you heard the reports of shooting one and one and a half miles from your house. Nothing else happens. That's all you hear. You hear those shooting. You might you might have heard distant gunshots, one and a half miles away. You hear that. What do you do? You start running through the hallways of your house, right? Of course you do. Everybody does that, right? The point is, the only reason these people are running through this hotel is because someone had said 
there are shots fired. Some, and that doesn't mean there were shots fired, or maybe in the case of the Bellagio, according to Rennie Downs, there were, there were the, was the sound of gunfire. In the other ones, we don't know. Someone could have just said, gunman, run. It would be easy to spook these people in the context of that. But the question is, who did that? And does it play into the scenario of some team having carried out the operation at Mandalay Bay wanting to create chaos in the general area Yeah, for some particular reason? Whether it's or not it's some or all of them had someone there, you know, with a gun. I mean, there were reports of guys walking into hotels with long rifles or single people, not guys, plural. Or whether um, someone thinks they saw something and made that report. It was enough to spook people out an hour after, 35 minutes anyway, after Stephen Paddock has to be dead. He's dead at 11.20, confirmed. Mm-hmm. We think it's probably much earlier than that. Right. But if it, no, it was, uh, at least in the Bellagio, it was, it was at 11.20, was reported by uh, the video in right. uh, Rene Downs. At, at the same time as the SWAT team was breaking into that room, someone was causing mayhem a mile away, at least a mile away, a mile and a half maybe, in the Bellagio Hotel. And in several other hotels, someone there, was ca- causing a stampede of people on, in the context yeah. of there being shooters there as well. There's now, also evidence of in the in Caesar's Palace of a SWAT team walking through Tropicana, camp, sorry Tropicana, which is right yes. behind the concert area, more or less, yeah. directly south of it, north, south, whatever. It's directly north, directly of, north of the venue. There's a SWAT team, four or five SWAT guys, and one female police officer uh, walking through with their with their guns drawn, pointing them and shouting at the people in the casino where they're shouting up. hands up, forcing hands them all up. to put their hands up as they walk through. And one of the SWAT guys is carrying a stretcher mm-hmm. on a strap. What are they doing in, in, in the Tropicana? Yes. Yeah, but this this is the key thing here. I think it needs to be said. This has been pushed away as, well, in the panic of the moment, the whole city's scared. People saying things, seeing things. They're all afraid. They, they know what's happened now at the venue. Okay, well, why is a SWAT team actively responding and going right. into the Tropicana with a stretcher. Why is someone there calling in reports of shots in these hotels that are forcing these SWAT teams to go into other hotels? Because and it can't be Paddock because he's dead. It can't, it, well, none of it makes any sense because in the context of there only being Paddock in that room shooting his weapon only at the concert hall, there is no one in all of Las Vegas who could ever think that there were shots in the Bellagio. Those shots somehow, somehow managed people, to reach the Bellagio. There were managed people to reach the playing on the slot machines in the Bellagio. They didn't know what was going on exactly. until they checked the news. Right. So the point is, the official story is that only bullets were only coming from the 32nd floor window of the Mandalay Bay down towards the concert for 10 minutes. And yet, in hotels a mile and a half away, somehow people got the idea that they made up themselves that there was gunfire in those hotels. That just happens all by itself, Right. No, someone spreads that rumor. Someone actually fires some shots. Does that, would that, in an investigation, would that be, would that lead you to think that maybe that that event was 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 connected to paddock shooting? Uh, maybe. And does that therefore open the door to the idea that he was not acting alone? Maybe. That just blows my mind. Yeah, th- th- this. This multiple active shooter scenes up and down the strip, they, they put like this dome on it very early on. As soon as the reports were um, given code four, i.e. confirmed unfounded in most cases anyway, we don't hear a confirmation report about the Tropicana, for example, where a SWAT team actually went in. Um, that was it. 
any other mainstream media reporting on these other scenes is simply, well, they were false reports. Dot, dot, dot. Okay, but made by who? Uh, Stephen Paddock called 12, 13 other major casinos. While he was shooting. Pretending to be someone who, oh, I'm in the lobby and I heard this. What? You know, uh, and, and, and he, by making 10, 12 false calls, he drew out about, from my count, about 16 or 17 separate strike teams. That's, you know, two, two or more, sometimes up to eight police officers would arrive to verify the checkout, the claim at the Bellagio, at Caesars, at MGM, at New York, New York, at the Aria. There's one other report on the scanner that's interesting as well. Um, this also happens later, so it's beyond 11.20 now. Suspect down, that's supposed to be Paddock. He's dead. He can't be doing this. And it's it's got people spooked at the Motel 6, and they send a team to investigate. Um, there's no follow-up. We don't know what happened. But the description was older white male in black fatigues uh, parked in an RV on the lot of Motel 6. I, I thought it was interesting because Motel 6 literally shares a fence with the private hangars of the airport right next to it. This is why I like bringing up the, the airport earlier. I mean, the fact that it's a CIA private terminal to boot, mm. <laughs> well, that's super interesting. But even just when I saw earlier on in the week that the, the airport is so close to this venue, um, yeah. the means of getting stuff in and out. Yeah. Um, private airlines. CIA, private airlines. You, if you, you just wear the right uniform and hold up the right ID. Talking, you blend in. Well, talking about, right? uni- talking about uniforms, was, uh, other little details was that the reports of uh, a bunch of security guards who I think all wear the same kind of uh, costumes. It's like yellow with blue on it or something as uh, security at these at these resorts, which are all, several of them are linked together and stuff. And they probably all work different shifts at different hotels. They're just security guards, right? They have a pretty simple job. There's uh, a report. Cause, cause in, in several of the hotels are all owned by the same organization, the, so you'd, you'd be working in different organizations or different hotels. Yeah. And um, you hear a report coming from the Luxor saying they've got um, security chasing another guy wearing security right outfit. Outfit. <laughs> so into and it's specific. They're chasing him into the male restroom on level thirteen. So that's not just like, well, we heard that someone might have been shot somewhere in the vicinity of our casino. Can you come and check it out? That's like, I've just seen someone get chased over here, specifically in this corridor. Mm. Can we get someone over here? And the, the, in this case, the control responds and tells the, 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 the cop calling that in to uh, basically chill out, secure the area, and we're going to have so right. someone come and give you backup. And that, But that's the end you hear of that. Another little detail from the police scanner was... Um it's actually the police scanner um, that is heard on the. It's kind of famous now, I suppose. The um, oh, in taxi, the, in taxi ladies' the car, taxi ladies' Corey car, Corey Langdon's car. Yeah, right. She's she's listening to the police scanner, and she hears uh, on the police scanner uh, one of the police officers saying, "Yeah, what are the words?" Um, unfortunately, she starts talking right when it comes in. Right, but, but I heard we, it. We, you're sure of it? Okay, it was. Um, Jeez, I don't have it with me. I have it written upstairs. Um, can you? It was a confirmation. So, can you confirm? Can you confirm? Or no? No, he's no, not he said confirm. He says confirm second shooter at the Tropicana, right? No. Um, oh, God, should have brought it. 
I should have brought it. I'm going to go and get it. You keep talking. <laughs> this right, is worth saying. <laughs> Well, the other the other thing, uh, another little detail is that right beside Paddock's Paddock's room, um, there is a stairwell. So adjacent to it, on the same side, is a stairwell that goes down all the way to the to the ground floor. It's basically the back stairs mm. in the hotel. And um, according to again uh, in the press conference with um, a reporter asked the question, but it's been in the media as well. That, that stairwell, not very widely uh, um, reported, really, but that that stairwell was blocked, and the security guard, this famous security guard, his name is supposedly uh, Jose Campos, um, he was unable to. He would normally have come up the stairwell. I don't know. I suppose he's checking the stairwell as part of his job. Uh, he was unable to come up the stairwell um, and had to use the elevator. And the reason he couldn't use the stairwell is because the stairwell had been. Initial reports were that the doors at the bottom of the stairwell had been welded shut. Hmm. And this is right beside Paddock's room. So to his list of uh, abilities, we have to, to Paddock's list of abilities, we have to add a welder as well. Um, expert welder, welding a door shut. Um, the other detail was that there's a report, and it's very interesting for a few reasons, but there's a report that uh, I mean, all of the key cards, all of the entrances and exits to any of the rooms in the Mandalay Bay, and I assume all the other hotels, are recorded on a uh, electronically because they're just the, you know, the key cards that open the door, uh, so it's recorded on a computer. So basically, and this fits with uh, the high surveillance levels at in in Las Vegas, particularly on that on that strip, uh, because you know gambling, these people are super super anal about. Uh, watching everybody, certainly in the casino floors, there's cameras watching pretty much everything and everybody for fraud and all that kind of stuff. But also in the rooms, they extend that security to there. And um, so all entrances and exits from, and times of entrance, entrances and exits from rooms in the Mandalay Bay are all recorded. Uh, and the police have access to this to these, this data. And they, um, they also have, there's an underground parking where Paddock's car was uh, stationed. And when you leave, the car park, your car is also recorded. So this is, you know, it's a lot of surveillance. So they know when your car goes in and out, it's time-stamped and recorded, and, and when you go in and out of your room. And there is, there's reports that uh, when Paddock's car had left the underground garage, someone accessed his room. Using his card. Yes. Or mm-hmm. using, I don't know, they didn't say, they have these universal cards as well that can open any room, so... That's well, the the report I the report the report I read said that it was his card. So, but I don't know if right, yeah, could be, yeah. if you know They're if probably, there was a distinction or not. They probably differentiate between universal cards and yeah. individual cards assigned to to rooms. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, using his card. But it, but along that same line, um, a few days ago there was um, there's a an independent journalist. I think her name's Laura Loomer or Laura Bloomer. And she got, um, she spoke to someone that she knows that works in the Mandalay Bay. And at the same time, there was a um, an employee at the Mandalay Bay at the at the restaurant there who uploaded receipts. Um, now, what? The, well, first, if we look at the receipts, this guy uploaded receipts. Um, he had, he says, he had served, um, or no, I don't. He didn't actually serve. He worked for room service, and he just brought up the receipts. And the receipts were for room service to Stephen Paddock's room, right? And so it's got like, the receipts have his name and um, you know his room number, 
and people. it's you know a whole list of yeah food, and it says for two people for right. two guests. And there's questions and, about whether or not, there's questions about whether or not that means anything. It could be depending on yeah. what the person reports or, or or the amount that they order. I don't know, but it seems that they would usually be they wouldn't just randomly assign one or two people or three people to a room if you know for an order. Yeah, uh, based on what's ordered, you know, I could have like three cheeseburgers and a yeah. five milkshakes, and it's just me, you know. And it's, yeah. Um, um. So that's that's interesting. But the other interesting thing about that, the other interesting thing about that receipt is that uh, the police said that he he checked into the Mandalay Bay on the twenty eighth, but that receipt is from the twenty seventh, has a state, uh, date of twenty seventh on it. But the, mm-hmm. the the other thing I wanted to say about the about this back back stairwell that was uh, that was initially said to be welded shut, and I'm not sure where that report came from, but uh, it was widespread enough that a journalist asked uh, the sheriff. About that report, that uh, that it was welded shut, the door at the bottom was welded shut. Uh, I think the door at the bottom and the top was welded shut, and uh, the sheriff said that uh, it wasn't welded, but it was secured. That's all he said. Now, any, I'd like anybody the next time you're in a big hotel, go to the stairwell and look at the door. If there's a door on it, right, the access to the stairwell, and go ahead on your own, just as some guy who's arrived at the hotel first day. Secure that door so that security can't get through it. Just an experiment. Go ahead and do it. So that the next security guy who comes along cannot get through that door. Just as a, as, a, as a regular guest in a hotel. And if you try and do that at a casino in Las Vegas, yeah, the security cameras will see you doing it. Right. Well, go ahead and do it. And then, and then try and get away with it. Or try and, try and do it for a start. How are you going to secure it? What, are you going to put a piece of wood across it? I know security guards might not be known as the most intelligent people, but I'm sure they could move a piece of wood. Well, apparently in Vegas, security guards are like superheroes. Right. And they're, um, so you was, know, trained by the CIA. Did I say that? No, they're they're super ready for combat operations. Right. Um, that security guy, he, he, gonna, here's, here's something that's missing in this, in this uh, story. This guy is supposed to be your average Joe, right? Mm. He's working at a nice casino. No disrespect to him, but He's a security guard in the casino, and he's done these heroic things. Why isn't he all over the media getting interviewed? Where's the photos of him? Mm-hmm. Interviews. He he would normally, ordinarily, be lauded. It would be one of the biggest things they'd be hitting all week. The hero of the of the story. Mm-hmm. You know, um, they've got plenty of other hero stories about people who did this and that to help victims and stuff. But the star of the show. Yeah, doesn't exist. Well, I don't mean to suggest it literally doesn't exist, but he doesn't exist in, in the narrative afterwards. No. He should. He should be club <clears> and centre. Yeah. That that's really dodgy. I think th- <clears throat> I think that's a that's a dodgy story. I mean, it, it would take some cover up, whatever, and we'd have to look into this guy, Jesus Campos, who's supposedly this hero security guard. But uh, I think that that's a key part of the story. That's a load of nonsense, and it's completely fabricated, and that the shooting through the door uh, was uh, was for a different reason whatsoever to establish the official narrative that. Uh, that that Stephen Paddock was still alive at that time, um, and and you know to just establish that narrative, um, that he was alive at that time in that timeline at ten seventeen or ten eighteen, when I'm pretty sure he was dead long before that, well certainly ten or twenty minutes before that, and that he didn't fire any shots out of that window, um, and that there was a team involved uh, of quite a number of people who. As, as would obviously be the case in this kind of an operation, you need a significant team of people uh, controlling the entire situation 
and making sure everybody gets away and it's very easy to create a patsy and that's what I don't understand about people who people are just uninformed I suppose but uh, that idea of a patsy being used is so common uh, it's not only part of uh, movies and all that kind of stuff and, and literature but uh, it's obviously part of the actual historical record uh, in many countries and most famously in, in the USA as I mentioned earlier with Lee Harvey Oswald and also with Sirhan Sirhan um, these are bona fide, real, honest-to-God Apaches who were used to take the fall. Uh, Lee Harvey Oswald was assassinated uh, because he was a Apache in the same way Stephen Paddock was. Uh, the point is, there's a precedent for this, there's a history, there's a long history for this, and this is just one more in that, in that line. And uh, anybody who doesn't see that is, is, is just is, is uninformed, basically. Do you want to read your thing? Yeah, well, okay, so it's a report coming. Well, first of all, I want to say something about the police audio that we hear of the reports coming in from officers on the scenes into their central dispatcher. They say control, and that's the code name for the person at the center fielding all their calls. Um, I had, all week, I had erroneously assumed that when someone uploads something and says, this is the full broadcast of what was said that night by all the officers, it's not. Of course it isn't. And I had tangible evidence that, that that's not the case when after scanning through, there's one long section of an hour and someone else uploaded another half hour. And they pretty much sync up because you hear at the end of the first hour, breach, 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 and that's the SWAT team at 11.20. And then at the beginning of the other half hour, um, uploaded by some guy who lives in Vegas, I think, um, at, towards the beginning, the first couple of minutes, it's got the SWAT operation at the, the Mandalay Bay, breach, 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 and then subsequent reports. Anyway, so that hour and a half syncs up well, but Taxi Lady, her GoPro camera's running from the initial, one or, let's say the initial few, maybe she, she'd already heard the firing, turned on her GoPro, but she's in the taxi line at the Mandalay Bay, and you can hear, you know, it's pretty loud, automatic gunfire above her head. And she's like, what's going on? And she eventually pulls out of there and around, and then we follow her, and she goes around the venue. So in other words, um, she's there for that 10 minutes of, of, the, of the automatic gunfire. She's out. She's at the junction. She's just left the Mandalay, and there's a police report that comes in um, as if it's following up on another conversation. And it's, it's, it's a police report made to the central dispatcher that is not does not come up on either the hour-long full, in quotes, broadcastify audio recording of the scanner feed that night, nor on the this other guy's half-hour feed. And that's, that's when I realized, of course, there's going to be a lot of communication between teams, officers, SWAT, FBI, whoever, that is not picked up in the scanner. It's, it's not necessarily for any you know, various reasons, simply because they're on different channels, of course. So anyway, in her, whatever she was listening to as a taxi driver, she got a report that none of the other broadcast, uh, published broadcasts have. And it's simply that she's, uh, she's hearing a cop report that there was a shooting inside the Tropicana. Can you guys clear that up and let us know where it's happening at? Tropicana um, is is it another interesting angle on it because it, is, it has a tower, has two large towers, and one of them overlooks the back, the rear end, mm -hmm. the north end of the venue. Mm -hmm. And but the thing you that... remember that girl, the young couple, mm 
mm-hmm. uh, interviewed by CNN soon afterwards. She was so sure that firing was coming from all around. Um, they had us pinned down. They were all around. And she said specifically, we could see them shooting at people from the staff parking lot. That's at, towards the back of the venue. Which is near the Tropicana. The north, which is right across the road from the Tropicana. Read, read what he said again on that scanner. They were shooting inside the Tropicana. Can you guys clear that up and let us know where it's happening at? Right, and then watch the video of the SWAT team walking through the Tropicana with their guns drawn, pointing at people, saying, hands up with a stretcher. Yeah. Now, that goes beyond... Uh, Apparently, just, that just goes beyond, at the Tropicana, you can't open the windows, by the way. Right. That goes beyond someone simply, some uh, guest at the Tropicana losing the plot and saying, oh my God, maybe there's a gunman here as well, and freaking everybody out. You got it on the police scanner, the guy saying, can you confirm? He doesn't even say can you. He says He confirm. begins with a definitive statement as if he's he's talking about a conversation that's already been started. He says confirm. There was shooting inside the Tropicana. There was shooting inside the Tropicana. Can you guys clear that up and let us know where it's happening at? There's right, an, and, then, and then you see a SWAT team walking through the Tropicana with a stretcher. Not in immediate succession. I think there's no. some time between this, <clears throat> right. these two events. But but the two of them are, are likely linked, right? Yeah. So the po- point is, how does that happen? That, that, that's, that goes beyond, like I said, someone just spreading kind of fear-mongering type thing. There was obviously a, a serious enough uh, incident or situation in the Tropicana where someone called the police and told them that there was a shooting and then the police, police confirmed it between each other and a SWAT team was in the building. With a stretcher. And So who did that? Was that Stephen Paddock as well? Can't be. It's not, there's so much evidence for more than Stephen Paddock here. Just leave it at that if you want. This was not only Stephen Paddock, but by, by all accounts, I mean by all of the evidence. And of course the FBI are covering it up. Of course they are. That's what they do. The FBI investigated, investigated itself a couple of years ago uh, over like something like 250 different incidents of... Uh, Deaths at the hand of the FBI. Death at the hand of the FBI, and they found themselves uh, clear on all counts. Um, well, well, maybe I'll just... Um, I'll share a couple items from the rumor department just to... Um, just because they're interesting... <laughs> Of course, who you know, you don't know if you can ever trust uh, mm-hmm. these kinds of things. But um, I'll just throw them out there. First is that um, a couple days ago, the website True Pundit, um, which is like a right-wing kind of uh, news portal, um, for the most part, I've found them to be like you know uh, serious. At least it's they're not like um, just a you know, a tiny kind of conspiracy website or anything. They just, they cover politics for the most part. And, um, you know, but from a right-wing perspective. And this article had said that um, they, True Pundit, had um, some sources in the FBI, just among regular, like, FBI agents. And they said that these FBI agents working on the case um, had been told by FBI headquarters, so this is, you know, from the top, to only focus on Stephen Paddock as the as the shooter and to ignore all other angles relating to investigating multiple shooters. And they said that they this was quite a shock to them. Of course, these guys aren't named, um, can't be verified. So just throwing it out there, the possibility that the FBI, you know, from the top is directing the FBI field agents working the scene, working the case, 
not to look into any of these other um, um, reports of multiple shooters or multiple events at other um, at other hotels, possibly even just in relation to um, Paddock himself, maybe relating to you know the the few little hints um, from the Mandalay Bay that he may have had um, someone there with him at various points throughout the like the the week or so that he spent at the hotel. Um, another was, oh, what was the other one? Now I forget what it was. Um, oh yeah, this was, uh, something that, um, was on Twitter and the guy that made a few tweets, he was a, a former Trump campaign, um, official, like, you know, he ran part of the campaign and part of the country or something. Um, you know, not a super well-known guy, but well-known enough that his name, you know, came up and people recognized him. And he said that he, he had talked to, um, I don't know. I don't remember if it was FBI or just if he just said law enforcement. But he said that he that there was a video that had been found among uh, Stephen Paddock's um, like on his computer or something. A video that he had made that his sources tell him ties him to a cell of people, like a group of people. And he said they wouldn't say who the group was. He was speculating speculating that it might have been ISIS. Um, but the, the, there was this video that was made and it was like a, this, you know, big video. Who knows if we would ever see it because, um, you know, he, he said that, it, that, um, um, that in his mind, I think that they, they might want to keep a lid on it in, in order because exposing it might activate other, you know, members of this cell. So, I mean, it could be like, you know, totally far out there. But one other thing that we haven't talked about is the, the ISIS thing, because right after ISIS, who, you know, claims responsibility for, you know, a whole bunch of things that they have nothing to do with, um, called, uh, said Stephen Paddock was their guy. Mm. And then the, the L.A. or the uh, Las Vegas, you know, police said, no, that we haven't seen any ties to to ISIS or anything like that. And his brother says he had no religious beliefs and, you know, that, that was, that was yeah. not a part of it. And then ISIS came out again and said, no, he, he was our guy. He converted to Islam and we call him Ab, like, uh, um, Abu, what was his name? Something, Abu, 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 Abu Abdullah Ab, uh, Abu Abdullah then, Al Gambler. Yeah. And uh, then, so then the, Las Vegas police denied it again, and then for a third time, ISIS came forward. Now, this is, as far as I know, this is the first time that they've done this. Like the, you know, their you know, um, you know, ISIS um, news agency kind of releases. They came out a third time and said, "No, really, this was our guy. He converted to Islam six months ago, and uh, you know, blah blah blah." Um, but the interesting thing about Amak, uh, you know, news agency, ISIS news agency, is that. Aside from the, the the kind of stuff that they put out that's tied to events like in you know North America or, or Europe, um, they actually release good information about what's going on in Iraq and Syria. Like they've got a really good track record. Like whenever there's a suicide bombing, like in Iraq or Syria, and ones that we don't even hear about in the news, um, but that get re- get reported like in Iraqi news and Syrian news, they you know they release the guy that did it and you know his background where he came from what his motivation was they'll have like a video that he made beforehand and all this stuff and you know among the kind of academic terrorism researchers they actually um you know they they don't necessarily think it's a good idea to to quote these guys because it gives them like uh you know publicity but they acknowledge that they have good information and it often turns out to be correct except in like um, in some cases, and especially like these high profile cases, like they, they've, they've claimed 
um, you know, responsibility for things that for which there's no evidence. It's just like a publicity thing. Um, so just two, the, you know, there's those two angles. Um, so who is behind, whoever is behind these new, news, this new age news agency, they call themselves Amak. Um, on the one hand, they, they do have good information, like immediately from on the ground in Iraq and Syria. Um, on the other hand, um, you know, no one knows who's running them. And usually it's site intelligence that gets the first scoop and, and ends up quoting these guys. Um, and, but I just th- think it's really weird and curious that they have been like doubling and tripling down on the, on the idea that, um, that Stephen Paddock was, uh, was ISIS. Yeah. An inveterate gambler is a real soldier of the caliphate. Yeah. Right? Well, but who knows? Like if we go the, if we go the mind control angle, mm. something, what happened in the last year, I mean, even, uh, Lombardo and I think the first or the second press conference said that they were looking into right. possible like mental events like something that happened in october of last year and i yeah, think Trump. october of last year was when he oh yeah was when he first got prescribed valium mm. and then he got another prescription in june of this year mm. um so they were looking for you know mental illness mental health issues and also one other thing that that um Marilu danley had apparently said um now this didn't come from her official statement this came from again some uh, like you know uh a leak, you know, to the press about what she had told law enforcement in, in, in an interview that he had, um, she didn't give a time period or they didn't give a time period, but that he would wake up screaming, um, at, you know, in the morning and like screaming and in pain or something like that. So he was behaving strangely. Mm. Um, that, that's all she said though. But, so who knows what was going on with this guy? Yeah. All right. Well, there, there are just a, a few other uh, things to round this out. We've already kind of gone past our usual uh, two-hour mark. But uh, James J. Murren, the Mandalay Bay CEO, is also, interestingly enough, a board member of the Department of Homeland Security's National Infrastructure Advisory Council. Uh-huh. And as part of this uh, National Infrastructure Advisory Council, um, he sits on a group called the Critical Infrastructure Security Resilience and Research Development Working Group. And basically what this group does, what the, CIA, what the CEO of Mandalay Bay Hotel, um, you know, what, what he's a part of is a group that tries to get legislation passed to help usher in security infrastructure, i.e., uh, you know these these uh, these scanners that uh, that we've been uh, reading about. Um, Fancy cameras. In the mid 2000s, there's a cameras. The, this big rollout that Michael Chertoff uh, mm-hmm. had tried to um, implement. Uh, he was Chertoff, if you remember, and and it's mentioned in uh, in your article, guys. You know this guy was uh, Secretary to Homeland Security between 2005 and 2009. Then, then heads his own, goes into private enterprise, goes into his own business, the Chertoff Group, uh, represents this organization called um, OSI, which, which um, puts out these machines, um, you know, looking to cash in on the war on terror and security infrastructure of the U.S. So basically, um, and, and this other thing about Murren, this uh, CEO, uh, he sells hundreds and thousands of shares 
of MGM Resorts International stock that he owns um, in the weeks leading up to this event, mm. which reminds one of the short selling of uh, airline stock. And I think it was either United or American mm. shortly before in the months leading up to 9-11. Mm-hmm. You know, so what does this guy know? Well, um, wait now. We can only mm-hmm. find the selling of shares interesting if we're looking, if there's a pattern. I mean, I, I, I think it was like $12 million worth sold by him. Right. Is that unusual form? Is that, it doesn't say. It's just reported on regular financial ticker news yeah. that well, he sold that much in September. But well, it's interesting. It is interesting. It is, I mean, but, the thing is, what people don't understand is people are looking for you know, highfalutin ideas and stuff about why this happened and what the plan was and stuff. On that score alone, people don't understand the kind of people that people or that populate government, particularly in the West and particularly in the USA, and just how fundamentally corrupt and pretty much evil these people are. For if, if anybody who thinks that those types of people would not put together a team to kill 58 Americans so that they could make a few, hundred, a few million dollars if they wanted to, mm-hmm. on that score alone, on that money score alone, the justification is there. I mean, people don't get it, can't get their heads around the idea that there are people in power who don't think like you, who don't have the same morals as you. What's wrong with getting your head around that idea? As I know it's shocking, but get your freaking head around the idea. Look, just look at your politicians and make the leap to the idea. As Lombardo said, I can't get my, my into the head of a psychopath. Right, <laughs> exactly. So, I mean... Jesus, people just need to get over themselves and accept the fact of the world that they live in and the people that, that rule over them, that they would kill a bunch of people for a bunch of a, million, a, few, a few million dollars if, if that, if that <clears throat> floated their boat. Of course, we think that there's more at play here or more in play here than, than, just, than just money. But if that's a, if that's a bonus or if they, if, they, if they find themselves in a position where they were wanted to do that just for money, you think... The lives of fifty-eight million people, or fifty-eight people, is, is is anything to these people? Uh, you're you're just deluded. I mean, it's a really bad position to be in to be thinking along those lines, to be thinking along and, the lines that I that I talked about earlier on, which is they wouldn't do that. Good God, mm-hmm. how deluded you have to be! Like, just look at the world around you. Look at the world. Look at the country you live in, and the people who run it. Jesus Christ! Exactly. Also in the in the Deep rumor state. department. Uh, I'm just going to read a little bit from this. Um, on September 10th, seconds before September 11th, uh, just about a month ago, on 4chan, um, a guy no- calling himself John uh, wrote a few things to the list there. And what he says is, look, I feel bad for some of you on this website, so I'll let you in on a little secret. If you live in Las Vegas or Henderson, stay inside tomorrow. Don't go anywhere where there are large groups of people. Also, if you see three black vans parked next to each other immediately, leave the area. You're welcome. He goes on to say, it's called the, quote, high incident project, end quote. They want to make the American public think that places with extremely high security aren't safe. They are trying to create more regulations. You will see laws passed within the next few years to put up more metal detectors and other security devices. Media and politicians will be saying places with lots of police need even more police. I can't guarantee anything will happen tomorrow, but Las Vegas is on their minds. And finally, he writes, 
If their plan is successful, State of Nevada will pass a law in the future making all casinos have mandatory medical de- medical metal detectors and backscatter machines. Soon after, a federal law will be passed to put these machines in universities, high schools, federal buildings, you name it. OSI Systems and Chertoff are the main producers of these machines. Sometime around 2020, Chertoff and OSI will merge into a single company. After they merge, the owners will sell off their stock and make billions in profit. Mr. Chertoff has been in contact with Sheldon Adelson. Mr. Adelson will become a huge sponsor of these machines, and he will be the first to put them in his casinos when the law passes. This is my last message for now. Don't expect me to return anytime soon. Now, uh, you know, take it for what it is. Is this a huge coincidence, or or was this guy, John, who posted these comments in 4chan about a month Mm. ago, was he in some kind of uh, privy to this information or in the inner circle of of people who decide these things, you know, you can decide. Uh, but it is very interesting. Um, there is a huge confluence, as you were saying a little earlier, Joe, uh, between people in government and the corporations that uh, and people who stand to make millions and even billions of dollars uh, putting all of this technology into place probably not only in casinos and hotels around the country, but in every institution. Um, but they needed some way to, to do this. Right. Uh, I mean, there was a lot of bad press about these machines several years ago, about it screwing with your DNA, possibly causing cancer. So now they have an in because mm-hmm. all over the media in the past few days, um, th- the story has been, you know, we need, we need tougher security in these places and and we need to roll out this technology. Um, there was a guest on CNBC just a few days ago, Chad Sweet. Just a day after this happened, uh, Chad Sweet, co-founder, CEO of the Chertoff Group, also a former home, Homeland Security official, was on CNBC to say, quote, we have to be less free in order to be safe, end quote. Um, and this this uh, this machinery is already being rolled out at Wynn Hotel in Las Vegas. Uh, you know, there's people who stand to make so. make a lot of money uh, off those machines, uh, Chertoff and, and his ilk. But there's also people who have more money than they know what to do with, or that money is not really an issue anymore because you know they have too much of it or easy access to it, and and they kind of tend to get. I think they tend to get their jollies from from the next level of. Uh, of seeking power and or control other than money is seeking power and, con- and control in particular directly. The feeling of being in control or manipulating millions of, of people in a population is like the next level up to, to making millions or billions of dollars type thing. It's like that's the more direct access to that feeling of power, you know. And, uh, and of course, I'm sure there's the people who behind behind these kind of attacks are the, are the ones who, who actually uh, get off on that in their sick six cycle way um, and of course the people who shoot them are the people who actually uh, actually like shooting people and there's another one for you to contemplate that there mm. are human beings who actually like hunting other human beings people need to grow up you know before it's too late <laughs> alright I think we'll call it a night there guys what do you think yeah 
All right. Well, we hope you enjoyed the show. Thanks for listening. We really appreciate it. And we'll be back next week with another show on another topic. Until then, have a good evening. Bye. See you next week. Bye, all. Bye-bye. Take care.